Hey, everybody. Uh, the Made for TV Mayhem show is back after our exciting winter break. Uh, and we're here tonight with um, two really great films. And uh, there are three of us for at least the first half of the show. So why don't I go ahead and just get that started? Dan is with us. Hi, Dan. Hello. How is everyone in their world? And such. Sorry, I have an I've I've got uh, I've got a bad case of allergies today, and I just took some medicine for it. So um, I'm hoping I don't go loopy, but I feel like I may have gone loopy on that opening sentence. I'll have to go back and listen. Yeah, to it. I think it you happens. already started loopy. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the loop. Oh, I was I was going to say two two things regarding my allergies. Um, one is a story I've, I've told both of you now. In that yesterday when I got to work, my allergies was really bad. I reached into my backpack, grabbed some allergy medicine. Uh, popped it in my mouth, um, took took a couple p- nice pills, and about forty five minutes later, I woke up at my desk, and I was looked around, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I'd lost. It was like it was like the X Files. I was driving down the road, all of a sudden there was a flash, and I'd lost time. And I looked around, I was like, "What's going?" And no one noticed, luckily. And I reached in the garbage can and suddenly realized that I'd taken some nighttime Alka Seltzer. Um, allergy medicine, and so the next two hours, I felt like I was drunk slash high. As I made it, I made it through. I and after a time, I came to really enjoy it. I had some nice music on, <laughs> and I was working. I figured as long as no one actually came up to me with a problem or an emergency, I was good. And so I actually meant to take in more nighttime medicine for this morning, but I forgot, <laughs> which That's, is too bad. It sounds like and, the key and, to happiness at work. It, it was nice, yeah. And then the other thing today was, and I don't know if this was, I don't, I still don't know what happened. I was in Trader Joe's. And I was buying a fun, uh, like just a winter ale to drink uh, at near the end of the podcast or right after the podcast. And I was walking to the register and I walked by a bunch of people in a line. I took two steps past a um, wine, a rack of wine. And then all of a sudden I heard, ah! and I turned around and a bottle of wine had fallen from the stand that I just walked by. Well, I was two steps past it. And it fell like two or three seconds after I went by it. And there was wine all over like a lady's pants. And there was wine all over the floor and all over everything. And I I was standing there thinking, I didn't bump into that wine. I would have known if I had bumped into that wine. How did that wine fall over? (laughs) But I looked up and there were four very angry people looking at me. And I thought, "Did did I bump into that? No, I would have known it. So I said, sorry. And they were all very nice. <laughs> but, but I didn't it, know. See, this is how I interpreted the story. You've cheated death twice in two days. Oh, my gosh. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I hope I can do it again if I need to tomorrow. Yeah. Wow. But that, yeah, that's what's been going on here. Because um, right around Christmas, I had a really bad cold. Fought that off. And then a week later, I've got a really bad allergy attack. Oh, so That's how it goes. Uh, but you know what? I'm ready to talk about Dark Knight of Scarecrow and Revenge. Yay. So, okay, and Nate. Nate is also having some under-the-weather issues. How are you feeling, Nate? Um, I'm at the beginning of a head cold. I can always tell when they're coming on. You know, it's, it's always the exact same symptoms with me. I thought it sounded a little bit more like your throat might have been irritated because you've got this sort of Demi Moore sort of sexy brusque raveliness in your voice tonight oh if i could if i knew a, a famous quote of hers i'd say it right now but i can't <laughs> think of one all i can yeah. think of is the pottery scene from Ghost that's Ghost. all i can think of or the single tear <laughs> i have a single tear for the love of my life <laughs> 
It's beautiful. You know, I saw that movie with my sister, the sister I'm estranged from. I don't talk to her. And so I don't mind talking shit about her online. And um, <laughs> and she was uh, she loved the movie, of course. And it really wasn't my kind of movie. As much as I love cheesy TV romances, I don't really care for the theatricals. And her boyfriend at the time and I took her and she was just moved to tears at the end of it. And we thought it was really silly and we were sort of making fun of it. And I'm sorry to anybody out there who loves Ghost. And she started hysterically in the movie theater. Fuck you! Fuck you! Wow. <laughs> but she took that movie very seriously. She took. She takes she everything did. too seriously, which is why I don't talk to her anymore. But the best part of that night was we were driving home and we got behind someone and they were driving not that well and we were getting really mad at them and we were we were yelling at them and everything and we were like, you idiot, you, and it was my mom. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. <laughs> and how we didn't recognize the car is beyond me, but um, so that happened on the way home. So that's my story for that's the night. Awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. But I wanted to ask everybody, did anybody make any New Year's resolutions? Oh, not really. I, I feel bad. I kind of never yeah, do. Yeah, I don't really I, either. Um, I usually end up what I what I usually end up doing is um uh, I'm I'm not I'm not a very religious person, but at Lent, my wife and I like to give up stuff. Yes, I remember that wasn't a beer this year. La- yeah, last year it was alcohol. This year it'll probably be alcohol again. That's when I, <laughs> I can't give that. That's up. when I tend to give up stuff. So yeah, so um, I, so, I, I, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I, I was just going to say that. That's usually when I give up stuff. New, New Year's kind of. I usually end up New Year's Eve. We watch New Year's Evil, and then we fall asleep a little early, and then suddenly it's New Year's Day, and just <laughs> was, enjoy the day off. That so. was my question for Nate. I was going to ask him if if he boiled his hair. Oh, I did. <laughs> Good. Because I know on his the last podcast you did with the Stereo Continues crew, you made that reference. And somebody on there said, nobody's going to get that reference. But, of course, yeah, I, I know all about Blaze boiling her hair on New Year's Eve. Oh, and yes. we watched it as well on New Year's Eve. Did you watch it, Nate? Yes, of course. I love <laughs> Blaze, and I love that movie. Oh, my God. It's so good. I wish it was a TV movie so we could talk about it. The the Blu-ray has commentary from the director. I sh- I just got it. I should have oh. checked to see if he knows what boil your hair involves. It would be a difficult this... process. Although her hair, admittedly, looks slightly boiled. Yes, <laughs> did it, it not? really does. That, that was always that's why the Fonz liked her so yeah, much. Yeah, the Fonz hated her. It turns out that boil. Yeah, in real, in real life. Real yeah, life. I, I'm, yeah. I'm real, so for, for people who haven't seen it, New Year's Evil is a slasher movie starring Ross Kelly, who is probably best known as playing Pinky Tuscadero on Happy Days. And she was, I think, intended to be in far more episodes than she was, but she did not get yes. along with Henry Winkler. And that might be why they created Leather Tuscadero. I'm not sure of that. I think Susie Quattro was a little bit more amiable with the cast. And Ross Kelly yes. is known for being a bit of a badass. If you uh, can look past her beating people with canes and shooting while she's driving down the shooting a gun while she's driving down the road. She's a really interesting, <laughs> fascinating girl. And she used to be a rock and roll photographer in the sixties. And she took photos of like really famous rock bands, like uh, hanging out and stuff. And um, mm-hmm. she's really fascinating. So when I watch New Year's Evil, that's the Ross Kelly I'm checking out. Yeah. That she, she's, I mean, they, they did be, before that season of happy days, there were promos that were basically this, this fall, Meet Fonzie's girlfriend or something like that, Pinky Tuscadero. So she was meant to be part of the show for the season, not just the the 
hour long right. uh, season premiere and the the episode after that. Yeah, that was a tough one. I'm I'm still really sad about yeah. it. But um, yeah, and even even the Paul Lind Halloween special. Oh, she's so good in that. Has, has her as Roz, yes, Pinky Tuscadero, right. Kelly, which had to be a little disappointing because by that time she'd been fired from Happy Days for like a month. I and think a half. we talked about that when we did the Halloween special. I feel like we did. Yeah. Clip. So I and yes, that's and right. I was like, you know what? She has a name, guys. Yes. Let's remember it. Yeah. So anyway, we're getting off topic. So uh, yeah. Nate, New Year's Evil. Yeah, Nate, did you make any resolutions, or do you do that? Um, I usually do, but the weirdest thing is the only thing I gave up, um, and it was actually June of last year. I stopped eating red meat and pork. Oh. And I actually haven't had any since June of last year, but I was like, it's oh. weird that I decided to start that in the middle of the year instead of making it a New Year's resolution. Well, but, yeah. there's there's never a bad time to stop eating red meat and pork, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Were you going to try to go vegetarian? Uh, trying, but um, it's like I have to do baby steps. I can't quit everything cold turkey. Yeah. It was easy for me. I, I've been a vegetarian for 29 years. It'll be 30 years this year. And I think, and, um, I never liked meat, but you know what? My parents, this is like I'm bashing my parents. I have really, I had, I had absolutely <laughs> lovely parents. My mom was a really bad driver though, just to put it out there, but they, <laughs> you know, they ate really gross meat. Like my mom ate kidneys and my dad liked really raw oh. meat and they were big fans oh. of liver. And yeah, like he didn't eat raw meat, but he ate it as raw as he could and not die. And he has <laughs> eaten raw meat, um, before. And I feel like they prepared me to be a vegetarian without realizing it. So when I was a teenager and I became a vegetarian, they actually didn't push it or have a, they weren't worried about it. They were like, you know what? <laughs> she yeah. doesn't like it. She's never liked it. Maybe we eat gross meat and we're not going to force <laughs> it on her. And they actually were really um, great about it. So yeah, my wife's a vegetarian. Oh, really? So the majority of the meals we eat are vegetarian. I, I don't usually eat a lot of red meat. Occasionally. I'll have a hamburger, but that's like once every few months. And usually if I'm feeling very depressed, yeah, I'll be like, you know, it's like instead of getting a pint of ice cream, I'll get a hamburger. Yeah, I get fries. You know? That's my go-to. Or yeah, Taco um, Bell, I guess. But, uh, but, but my, yeah, my, my mom um, and my grandmother used to eat some horrible, I mean, some of the things that Polish people will put in their mouths are disturbing. They <laughs> I'm not even really, going to question that or interrogate it, that question. It really is. It's like, it's like if you, do you know what Jimdanogi is? No. Pickled pig's feet. Yeah, no. I like the pickled part. Yeah, and my, my grandmother would sit there with a container of them that she would buy at, like, the farmer's market, you know, in downtown Rochester. And she just popped the pig's feet in her mouth as she watched her <laughs> soap operas. You know, there's something glamorous about that. And it's like, and it's like, I would say, Grandma, you're you're not living like in a like in a bunker right outside <laughs> of like Berlin, right after World War II. You don't have to eat but this stuff anymore. You know what? Anymore. She's in training just in case. Just in case. Just in case. Just in you case. don't know what it was like to grow up then. Yeah, but she made the best pierogies oh, ever. Oh, good. So. Well, there you go. That makes up for it. Yeah. So I was just going to say, my New Year's resolutions are podcast related, <laughs> and we'll see how successful I am at them because I forget what I say 10 minutes after I say it, but I'm going to do my best to not do ums too much. Cause I, you know, when I edit these, I'm like, wow. And it's embarrassing. So I'm going to work on that for everybody who's listening. So they don't have to endure a bunch of ums. And I'm going to try to not sound like Wally Cleaver, but that's going to be babysits too, because I think I just sound like Wally Cleaver, which, you know, there's no positive to that. 
I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I believe that you sound like. I do a little bit. I I do. I have that nasally voice, and I can't. I thought. So I'm working on a new system now. I've got a new microphone and like a little pop filter, and I'm hoping that it will help me sound a little better um, on the podcast. But upon the test that Dan and I did yesterday, I realized I just sound like Wally Cleaver. But maybe I'll get a cold and sound like Demi Moore. And Tony Dow as Amanda. (laughs) And when I do, we will record an instant podcast. Nice. Okay, so, so tonight again, we're, uh, we're watching, we watched two really good TV movies. Um, we're going to be talking about them. The theme is revenge. The first movie is Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which was a 1981 thriller that probably needs no introduction because it's one of the most famous TV movies ever made. It's probably as famous, if not more famous than Bad Ronald, uh, probably because it, I think it got more airplay throughout the 80s than Bad Ronald did, at least in my experience. Um, so younger people, people who might have missed Bad Ronald on his first go probably might not be as connected to that as they are to Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. The second film is a bit more obscure. It stars Shelley Winters, Stuart Whitman, Bradford Dillman, and a woman whose name I can't remember. And um, it is called Revenge. It's a, it's a legit ABC movie of the week. It's excellent. Uh, it's really suspenseful. And I'm really excited to talk about that one, if only so I can talk about how cute Stuart Whitman is. Nice. And Bradford Dillman, let's face it. Uh, it's a cute guy sandwich going on in that film. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited about it. So we're going to start with Dark Knight and the Scarecrow. And I guess Dan is going to um, bring us into it. Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not going to go too crazy here with um, sort of a recap of it. Because I, I get the feeling that sort of Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is is the one of the rare TV movies that lots and lots of people, I think, know. I, I just get this feeling. I, I don't quite know why. Um, <laughs> because it's true probably because it's yes. true yeah um uh but basically the 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 base story behind dark knight of the scarecrow is it's it's in a it's sort of a rural farming town uh and there is a um gentleman named bubba who is uh mentally i don't know what word to use challenged retarded yeah, I think sort mentally of challenged is the piece disabled here's here's a sample of what bubba is like oh yes yeah that's bubba, that's bubba. and we and we do actually have, and I, I, I just like to say this because we, I think we meant to say this like seven episodes ago, but if you ever randomly hear on this podcast, Bubba didn't do it, just randomly, that means something went wrong behind the scenes and we're just kind of, that's kind of a segue. Are we still doing that? Well, we I do haven't that had the- to do it yet because luckily I've been able to put everything back together, but I think the second Christmas podcast episode we did... That went haphazard. Was. No, I ended up using "Don't Be Sorry, Just Be Wally" from a very Brady Christmas oh, okay. because it All felt right. it felt festive. But that but that was our our plan was if there was a break or or a grief, uh, and you hear Bubba didn't do it, that means that's like a little segue between one recording moment <laughs> and the next. So, but the, I'm sorry, I I meant to mention that seven episodes ago, go just in case. But so Bubba is playing with the um, Bubba has a best friend, a ten year old girl. Whose name I've just forgotten, Mary Lee. but I'm going to Mary Lee, Mary Lee Williams, and um, uh, and they play out in the field and they hang out and they they walk by a house that has a bunch of those kind of strange garden gnomes yes. in the backyard. Mary Lee goes into the back. She's goofing around with the garden gnomes when she gets attacked by a giant dog. Bubba gets her out of there, but she's badly wounded. And um, Bubba ends up uh, taking Mary Lee home to Mary Lee's mom. And when Mary Lee opens the door. You mean the mom opens the door? Oh, when I'm sorry. When the mom opens the door, she sees bloody Mary Lee in Bubba's arms. And Bubba says. 
do nothing bad. He more or less said He didn't that. say that. I hit the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> what he said was this. Exactly. And um, and um, it's a small town. There are a lot of hateful people in the town, including Mr. Otis Hazelrig, played by Charles Durning, the local postal Wait, carrier. Just should... real quick, Otis P. Hazelrig. What do you think the P? Sorry, what do you Otis... think the P stands for? I think it stands for penis. <laughs> I I had never thought of it. I thought something like Pocahontas, Poncho. I I um per per perv. Perv. It's a pervy. Otis Pervy, pervy Otis. Hazelrig. I buy it. Otis Pervy. Yeah. Otis has three very good friends. Uh, Skeeter, who's a mechanic <laughs> and who's who's dirty all the he time. He is. Uh, Philby, who's a big fat pig farmer. <laughs> and Harless, Harless Hawker, who actually has a farm and owns one of those big like industrial chipper kind of. Correct. Thrasher, crusher kind is of. Is he things. the one that has the polka dot uh, hat? <laughs> Wait a minute! I need to see some. I I can't. I don't know if I can tell you that okay. right now. I may have to get back to you. That's on that. what I, I um, remember. I think about him, although it might have been uh, Skeeter. Um, I've actually got a plane right here. Skeeter has a polka dot okay. hat. It looks like Philby has like sort of a nice, almost like a fishing hat oh, kind okay. of thing on. Um, but anyways, uh, they don't like Bubba. It's never fully explained why. Um, but they don't like Bubba. They think he's dangerous because he's mentally That's challenged. That's exactly why they don't like him. Exactly. They hear through the grapevine very quickly that Mary Lee was killed and Bubba did it. So they go after Bubba. And they go to Bubba's house. And um, I don't know how detailed well, I want to make it right I can here. play I'm, the clip. Because Bubba, Bubba gets there right before they do and meets his mom. No, sweetheart. You're a good boy. Now, nobody's going to hurt you. You hear? Nobody's going to hurt you. Mama's not going to let them. Damn them. Anything happened in that town and they come blaming you. Now, get up here. Listen to me. Now, you remember what we did the last time. We played a game. The hiding game. Remember? The hiding game. The hiding game. I remember. I remember the hiding. I can play it. Good, Mama. I know. Now, come on. We're going to play it again. And they basically, he hides inside a scarecrow. And apparently, yeah, he's done this before and gotten away with it. This time, he doesn't get away with it. And four very scared, creepy men with guns discover that that Bubba is in the scarecrow. And they shoot Bubba dead. They shoot him a lot. Yeah, they do. And they kill him, and they're put on trial, and they are acquitted very quickly, um, which doesn't make uh, Bubba's mom very happy. And what begins to happen then, it it seems to be a mix of um, from Bubba's mom sort of telling the men that there are forces beyond, you know, the laws of men that can bring justice mixed with Mary Lee insisting that Bubba is still alive, suddenly a scarecrow begins to appear in strange places. And suddenly the four men begin to die. And I know we, we talked about it in the first episode. We kind of went in detail into it in our very first episode. So I don't want to, I don't want to go overboard in the plot too much. I think we can sort of, um, yeah, I think that uh, that's a pretty good synopsis of it. Yeah. 
and and it's it's sort of basically it's it's one of those movies where the scarecrow sort of appears eerily at first and the three men who aren't Otis begin to get a little shaky. One gets the feeling that Otis has spent his whole life sort of doing nasty things and finding ways to, you know, not take responsibility for Correct. them. But now he's got one too many dumb guys. <laughs> I think who it's are three scared too many dumb scarecrow. guys. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so what begins to happen is, is tensions begin to, things begin to get strained and they begin to threaten Mary Lee. They begin to threaten Bubba's mom. People begin to die. There's a, may or may not be a supernatural scarecrow killing them. Bubba may be alive. I don't know. I don't want to say. I don't want to ruin it. But it's, it's Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. I mean, it is one of the, the best. I mean, it is, it was originally supposed to be, um, an independent horror film. And it was made as a TV movie in the end. So um, if fate had been different, we'd be, we'd be, uh, we would all gone to see this on the big screen. Yeah. Circa eighty one. It's interesting that you say that because uh, something that has always struck me about that movie was how I felt that it could stand up against its theatrical counterparts. And it's one of the few TV movies of that of the horror genre that I think really can as far as like yeah. having a cinematic feel to it like i think bad ronald would be a great like grindhouse movie even toned down yeah. it works but but cinematically speaking this film is so fluid and beautiful and really unlike a lot of horror movies that i've seen on television in that respect and you know i know you listen to the dvd commentary tract as well and the director yeah. who was like 90 at the time said you know i don't make television Yes, I made yes. movies and I wrote that down because I, and now I don't want to degrade, obviously I don't want to degrade television. I think television is a great medium, but I think sometimes bringing in a director with that attitude kind of elevates the film because he worked with all. And, and if you listen, if anybody picks up the DVD or has it, you, you should probably listen to the DVD commentary. It's not that impressive because they don't talk as much about the making of the film as I would like. A lot of it is them telling each other how much they like each other and their work, which is really sweet because <laughs> yeah, Frank sweet. D. Felita, the director is, is very old. He's still with us and he's a wonderful filmmaker and author um, and he deserves accolades, but they also slip in really interesting things. He worked very much in the, system of the television movie in that they shot it in 17 days they didn't have a lot of money and they had to work like it was a regular tv movie but his attitude was that he wanted to make something that was cinema and i really appreciate the results of that you know going in i and you you are right one of one of the joys of the commentary is um uh the the writer keeps saying Oh, and Frank, I really like the way that you brought out this from the character. And there's a pause, and for, for the director will say, "Well, you wrote that." <laughs> so it's just, and it's he's just like, "But guys. you made it real." You know what I mean? And it was, yeah. I really, and I think that's really sweet. They needed a moderator though to ask them questions, and that yes. happens on a lot of DVD commentaries. If anybody yeah. has the Cobra, I don't know if the, it's. It would be like the first DVD release of Cobra, probably. George P. Cosmatos, who's no longer with us, does the commentary, but they didn't have anybody do it with him and he didn't know what to do and dvds were very new then and nobody knew what to do and so he sat down and at the very beginning for anybody who remembers cobra the most amazing film ever by the way um you know when they go into the grocery store and the guy's holding the people in the grocery store hostage and george b uh -huh. cosmodos goes he shoots the fruit because he's very bad man <laughs> like he narrates the movie for like the first half of it it's just a narration of what's happening and then a little bit later he starts to talk about production 
but if you really want to listen to it, a really enjoyable commentary, it's really fun because he's just really lost, but he's trying to do something and it's really sweet. Very entertaining. Yeah, the moment they brought in the moderator, I think to uh, to things they that really helped. You need you need the uh, you need the fan there to uh, to ask the questions. Well, sure. Well, also the- like you know, so I would say that uh, J D. Feigelson or Fagelson, I think is how he says it. He think- he had more time in the movie because he wrote it, so he probably spent more than seventeen days making it. You know what I mean? Like creating it, and I think it was in his head for a while. He didn't do the story, but I think the the concocting it and putting it together probably took more time than it probably took to, to make it. So a lot of times, like when you get somebody like Frank Felita who's a little older and hasn't made the movie in 30 years and you know what I mean? And shot it for 17 days and probably did two weeks of post-production. It's sometimes really hard to remember what you did. I, I, I do like they, they have the moment where they say the, the, mo- the, when they were met, when they showed it at the writer's guild, uh-huh. And the scene where the scene where um, Harless there falls in the Thrasher yes. chipper thing, and it immediately cuts to the like the strawberry preserves hitting oh, the plate. Right, right. And they said when they showed that to the Writers Guild, the the, the you know you he he drops into the the Thrasher, and then you see the of the of the preserve, and he said every everyone in the Writers Guild screamed. <laughs> And then when the camera pulled back and they saw it was just being a little j- jam was being served at Charles Durning, they laughed for like the next minute. And they said you couldn't hear any of the dialogue. Well, that would have been great to see at laughing. the Writers Guild, actually. Yeah, that, that would that would have been pretty yeah. awesome to see on a, a big screen. But it is – yeah, it's it's such a – I'm sorry, Nate. What, what are your thoughts on it? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm yakking away here. No, no. I'm enjoying the conversation. Um, <laughs> I, I love – this film is probably in my top five, I would say, of uh, made-for-TV mm-hmm. movies. Um, I, I think it's because I'm a huge fan of slasher movies, and this movie is very close to, yes. you know, a, a slasher film with the whole, you know, them dying one by one uh, by a masked killer. When I think of this movie, a lot of times I think about Charles Durning as Otis because his character is just so unbelievably despicable in every possible way. Yes. And yes. The scene where he kind of corners uh, Mary Lee at, at school uh, when nobody's around and he's being very creepy towards her. Yes. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's disturbing. It's more disturbing yeah. than the scarecrow killing them. I think, I think it is. And I think the way they sort of roll out his potential pedophilia is really well done because I, and I, I don't rem- I didn't track it in the film, but I feel like you're watching the movie kind of thinking he's a sleazebag, but not thinking he's that big of a sleazebag. And then you start to like kind of get, oh, you know yes. what? He doesn't like Bubba because Bubba gets to spend time with Mary Lee. Yeah. Yeah. And when the mom mentions it to him in that scene. Yes. I don't. I see the way you look at that little girl. Yeah. And then like, it takes it to a, a whole different level of despicable. Now, do do you have Amanda? Do you have a copy of the sound clip when they meet up in the hallway? I, perchance I do. Hopefully, I'll play the right one this time. Let's try it. <laughs> come on, I'm at you. You come whisper in my ear, and it'll still be a secret. I know what you did to Bubba, and you lied about him. you hear that? He told me. He told me everything. Lee, you know that's not true. Mrs. Ritter, wasn't it? She told you to say that. No. 
Yes, it was. Now, you tell the truth. And who was it? I told you it was Baba. No, it wasn't, damn it. Baba didn't tell you that. Baba didn't tell you anything. Baba's dead. I know. Haley? 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 Parties up front. That sounded like Nate for a second. <laughs> it did, didn't it? It did. I was like, I didn't know you were a dark Knight of scarecrow. That's pretty cool. That's my first film role. It's <laughs> very powerful. I think you did it. Hey, up front, dude. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that guy's there. I don't know who he is, but it was like first brief second I thought movie don't go. You, you know what's where you might. Go you know in. what's really interesting, and I just thought of it now, is that this movie plays around a lot with authority figures. In that the district attorney and this guy, uh, they come across as like do gooders. Like the district attorney really believes that these guys committed a vigilante act and should pay for it. And um, this guy is protecting, he's the security guard at the school and he's protecting her. But then at the same time, we've got a quote unquote authority figure only because he wears a uniform in the, in the form of Otis as the mailman. All the time. All the time. He's always in his mailman outfit because it's some version of power to him to be the man in uniform. Yet he's, he's the least authoritative. I mean, he's got authority over the mob, right? His little mob posse group. But but yeah. he has he has no charisma or ability to command whatever the DA is doing to get the position he has or even the security guard. You know what I mean? Like his morals are totally out of whack. But that's I think that's that uniform gives him some form of like confidence. Yes. You know? Yeah. So it's really interesting. It just occurred to me. I mean, I had thought about him in terms of the DA, but not necessarily yeah. in the terms of how they have authority figures balanced with him. So it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And the, the DA is one of those characters who, like Hazelrig, is constantly sort of – well, not constantly, but trying to convince his, the three stooges there that um, it's, the, it's the DA. He's doing this. It's That's the right. DA. He's doing this. But the DA isn't doing anything. Right. You know? In the end, he's as, he's as like, ineffective as like, the cop and the stepfather. Yeah. You know? uh, no, he's not as ineffective. <laughs> Nobody's as ineffective oh. as that guy. <laughs> oh, that, that, that poor guy. Pardon me. Oh, you're getting beeped for even trying to oh. – I, am, I think are those allergies? What the only those? reason why the cop and the stepfather exist is because he's gorgeous. <laughs> I truly believe wow. he's just there to be beautiful because he serves no purpose in that movie at all. Yeah, it hurts a little. It yeah, does. How, how, I, I I've got Dark Knight of the Scarecrow playing to my left on a TV, and I actually have the Blu-ray. Oh, I just have the DVD. So the Blu-ray looks fantastic. It really looks nice. It looks like a film. I mean, it looks like a theatrical sure. film. And I realized one of the things is they shot the film in Piru, Piru, mm-hmm. which is not too far from Los right. Angeles. And I believe they shot, if not all, most of it there. And I think that's one of the things that – because they say like when they do the, the costume party uh-huh. where we just heard the see from and when they have the trial – where the, all the jerks are set free, that's in the same room, oh. just redressed. Oh, I didn't remember that. But it's it's in like a a building somewhere right. in that town. And I think that's one of the things, I mean, because like Bad Ronald, the majority of it is clearly set on like, I don't know what studio right. it was, Paramount Sets. 
I mean, it's clearly the same Paramount sets that they would be using, like they used the year before, and like Nanny and the Professor. Um, or I'm going to say like it's that. Warner. That was I'm going to say it's Warner Brothers, and I'm okay. only correcting you because in case Warner Archive is listening. Oh, this is Warner Archive. Oh my gosh, Warner Archive. Because <laughs> I want, I want their screeners. <laughs> Sorry, Warner Archive. I just, I blanked. But Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, I think that the joy of it is that none of the rooms feel like sets. No. They all feel like locations. And I think that's what gives it that independent sure. early 80s sort of film sure. feel. Well, I think even the director was talking about how um, people thought it was shot somewhere that wasn't even close to the city of L.A. And they were really surprised because it looked like it was like it shot on like a far off location and that they had to go probably to Arizona or wherever, you know, to shoot it. But I don't know if you can hear that car. Sorry. Um, oh, no, that's OK. But I don't know what this. Are you taking off? I don't know what this mic can pick up. You know what I mean? So I'm, <laughs> I'm just using it for mic. the first time. So um, but uh, people were really impressed with the fact that they just went a little bit out of L.A. to shoot it. Yeah. And they do a lot of all the all the nighttime. Pardon Correct. me. My nose is getting stuffed up. All the night is for night. Correct. It's not like day for night. You know, the other day, well, I watched To All a Good Night again, the 1980 slasher sure. film. You don't have to tell me I'm twice. Sure you love. And I know I don't have to tell oh, Nate I twice. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, isn't that fantastic? Yes. The problem with the Blu-ray is that all the day for night is oh. so obvious that it just looks like they're walking through. There's a sequence where all the characters are going to a plane on a runway yes. in the middle of the night. But it looks like they're walking through woods heavily shaded woods at like two in the afternoon well in in the defense of the film i'd always kind of look like that to me only just it was dark just because of the transfer yeah and now that you've got a good transfer it suddenly looks like it's it's like oh my gosh but it to compare dark knight the scarecrow like i've just watched mary lee run to bubba's house after he's died right and she's i mean this little 10 year old girl they've got her out in the middle of the night running through the darkness going to the house and it's like, wow, you know, that's, it's just, it's the little steps. It's yeah. a little extra. Oh yeah. No, it's take. just, it surpasses, it transcends its genre for sure. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there's not a lot to say about it in that respect. It just, it's, you look at it and it just doesn't look like what was being produced at that time for television. Uh, no, uh, Nate, were you going to say something? I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say that, um, you know, for a lot of times uh, with a lot of older TV movies, I can kind of look back and, you know, some of them I can kind of laugh if they're, you know, kind of more cheesy, like some of the cheesy slasher movies I love. But Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, I think it does kind of transcend, you know, I guess the time frame um, and it's made for TV status because it's it's a very like serious movie to me, like, um, you know, like with, with the whole like them murdering a mentally challenged person. And then getting away with it, and then the revenge, and the whole like kind of pedophile side angle going yeah. for it. It's very, uh, it's a very, very serious film, I think, in that respect. Absolutely, it's it's a dark movie, and it's like it's got moments of humor in it, but it's not about being funny at any point at all. It's and you know, the older I get, the harder it is for me to watch the whole first part with Bubba. It just breaks my heart. Uh, yeah. yeah it I, is I had a tough time. Yeah, it's a, I had a tough it's time. uncomfortable. And I guess when I was a teenager, it was just kind of like, uh, I don't know, it was scary. And I could, but I could watch that part more without being like, Oh my God, 
this poor guy, this poor guy, you know, and squirming in my seat. So I don't know. I've just become more sensitive to it, but you know, that's part of it. I'm sure that's what they intended. And I know Larry Drake would go on to become famous for playing those type of characters, but he was really good at it. You know, only, only rivaled by Leonardo DiCaprio. what, What was the name of that movie? Uh, Benny and June? No, no, no. Or... that's a horrible movie. No, no, the one that Leonardo DiCaprio made with Johnny Depp. Oh no, that, I'm sorry. The other John, I'm thinking of Johnny Depp movies. It was um Big Gre- Gilbert Grape. Yeah, who's in yeah. Gilbert Grape? I'm sorry. I was thinking of. I was looking at. I was. I was actually looking at a note that said plopping of preserves, and I was thinking of jam. I should have thought of who's in Gilbert Grape. Yeah, you should have. You're off your game. I, I'm try. I, I had a point I was going to make that is completely and then I left cut my you off. mind. I'm sorry. Oh no no! It was oh um, there's a great moment in the on the commentary when the when all the jerks assemble outside Bubba's house and they call out Bubba's mom or you know um, uh, Char- Hazel Rig is standing going Bubba, Bubba you come out here, and the director I forget I forget if it's the director or the writer on the commentary says right here I always imagine that this was the Hazelrig character reenacting. He'd seen something on like a Western oh, or yeah. a gangster movie the night before, you know, like a, like the Elliot Ness had gone up to a house and said, you know, Frank Nitty, come out here. And he thinks he's being this hero calling this, this, this villain out. Right. That's in his mind. That's what he's doing. Yeah. I think, I think that's very appropriate. And it, I think that translates pretty well to what he had envisioned and how Charles Durning played it. Because I think everything about him is a fantasy to begin with. Yes. Because he lives a really crap life. He's got a good job, you know. He does. I mean, he's a, yeah, he's just, he's the only postal carrier in a small town. He, he's never going to lose that. My, my dad used to work at a post office. He said the guys who had the best jobs were the guys who had the rural routes. Because they would go out early in the morning and they'd get their jobs done by like noon or one o'clock. Right. And, you know, they just, he said they had the best, best jobs around and, you know, and you couldn't get fired from it, you know, but, and it was, yeah, but something was missing inside of him. Like, uh, the job, I guess the job maybe fed into it or, and he sort of misappropriated the meaning of his job and the power of it. But like everything else in his life was like, he lived in that boarding house, you know, Mrs. What's her name? I don't remember her name. Oh, Mrs. Crumb or Mrs. Um. Miss, uh, Mrs. Bunch. Bunch. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Bunch and her preserves and those sad people sitting at the breakfast table. Well, what's really interesting is that I would say that maybe, well, I definitely think Harless had a pretty good life. It looked like he, he looked well to do. Yeah. He had a wife. She seemed nice. A nice farmhouse. A nice farmhouse. And so he's the only one that I don't really see fitting into their trio. Except he's he's a jerk to his wife for sure, yeah. You know, yeah. and I want to talk about that scene. I have a clip from it, but I don't need to play it. But I do want to talk about there, that scene. Actually, kind of breaks my heart too because he drops off the mail. You know, Hazel Rigg comes and he drops off the mail, and she gets an invitation to the costume party, and oh, she yes. really this... wants to go, and mm-hmm. she's kind of asking him about RSVPing, and she does it in this really sweet way. It's like very innocent and cute, and I think that there's a sense of romance about the party to her and he just doesn't give a crap their house it's everything so dusty and kind of dirty but their house has this lovely fence around it 
So for no real reason, like when Hazel Rig pulls up to deliver the mail, right. the invitation, it's like she walks out and she opens up this gate and steps out and says hello and closes the gate and gets the mail. But it's like there's this fence, but it doesn't fully kind of go around everything. <laughs> it's just there there's for like the a, show. There's like there's like a gap on one end. So she could like she could have gone to the left and just gone around the fence. But it's like they, they have the fence it's almost like it's almost like they bought like say a hundred acres of <laughs> land and a picket fence, and they built everything around the picket fence, but they got it slightly off, right. so like the the house isn't quite touching the fence, right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, with 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 ladies like that when they marry, oh gosh, okay. I don't know if you want to play that clip now, but I'm I've got that point on. And I'm to my left. With the, what you're that talking, I was just talking about. about, I can play it. Yes. I think this, oh, hopefully, please. this is the right clip. Okay, here we go. Carlos? What? We just got an invitation to the church Halloween party. You hear? What? To the church party. Can we go? Oh, I don't care. Well, I'd have to let them know before Saturday. They sure to want me to. Carl? What now? Have you started planting? What? I said have you started planting. What's the matter with you? Can't you see I'm busy? You ever see me planting this time of year? No. Well, why do you ask a lame brain thing like that? Well, I just thought it's kind of strange. I mean, if you're not planting, why would you put up a scarecrow? That's seriously one of my favorite scenes. That's creepy. It's so creepy yeah. and it's so it's, subtle. I, I think the the creepiest thing for me is the fact that this woman believes that this man is somehow romantic. <laughs> I, I I can't even imagine just look at them. She's so she's got such hope in her eyes. She does. You can tell she really be... wants to go to this party, and he's just like, "Well, I don't care." And it, it actually, care. like, maybe it's, I don't know why that sticks out to me so much. But, you know, every time I watch this movie, I think, oh, this poor woman. And then he's going to die, and she's actually going to mourn his death. Yes. And and it's, it's I mean, I I think the thing with this is that I think the thing with some TV horror movies, like some moments, for example, in Night Stalker, feel a bit abrupt. Um, and so, um, I, I, and I, don't quite know how to describe that without going into great detail, but the, the joy of a great horror movie is that things c can move very slowly and subtly, and then the scarecrow's in the field, and the whole f feel of it changes. And Dark Knight of the Scarecrow does every one of those horror things right, yes. which is why I really love it. And then Hazel Rigg, who's not a drinker, is in his room, Mrs. Bunch's place, drinking away. <laughs> and he's got his breath spray, so when his friends show up, he takes a couple squirts of the breath spray. Yeah, I remember the director saying that that he brought that to the set to. It's like okay, so there are funny moments in it. You know what I mean? Like he did, like the mm -hmm. the jam you talked about and that scene. And then I don't know if we'll talk about the scene with the hat. That's really funny. Oh yes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he. But it's not based on humor at all, and that's humor that could easily slip by you, you know, because yeah. it's so engrossing the actual story of it. Yeah, when I when I, I I I mentioned this in the first episode, but my wife had never seen it. We watched it preparation for the first our first episode so long sure. ago, and she just loved. She was very taken by the whole movie. She just thought it was like she had no idea that it was going to be 
this good. Yeah, it's it's. I'm wondering if it's a really good introduction to TV movies or if it's a really bad introduction to TV movies because I, because it is so yeah. good. And and I say that not I, you know obviously I love television movies and I don't want to put down any TV movie, but it sets the bar really high in a lot of ways. And a lot of TV movies don't have the same kind of thing happening in production that allows them to mm-hmm. reach the same heights that this film did. So, yeah. so in some ways, I think it's a great, like, if somebody's interested in TV movies, you might say, hey, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, and they're probably going to like it. But then I think if they try to explore other TV movies, they might be a little disappointed with, with the production side I, of it. I, I think what I would do, and then, Nate, you you can give, give your opinion on what you would do, because I think I... I I like this. I like this idea of what you would introduce because uh, I like the – I wouldn't show them Dark Knight of the Scarecrow first. I would do desperately do everything I could to show them everything but Dark Knight of the <laughs> Scarecrow. And then eventually I would show them this because I think this would be like – I I mean with slashers, I guess it might be like showing someone Halloween. I don't know if that's quite right. But, you know, if you like show someone Halloween and then you show them to All a Good Night or Blood Rage – you know, you might. Um, I won't say the mutilator because I know how some folks yeah, here feel about be the careful mutilator. What or you, say. you know, or you know, it's it's almost like if, if you want to if you want to introduce someone to slashers, show them everyone, but show them Friday the Thirteenth, show them a lot of the others, but don't show them like Halloween, which you know isn't my absolute favorite, but is sort of technically or Black like, Christmas maybe or Black Christmas. Yeah, you want to keep them away from the. You know, it's like. You don't start someone in 1960s rock and roll by playing them like Sergeant Pepper or Revolver, you know, because that will probably disappoint them when they go to a lot of the other things that took right. off from that. But I think, um, yeah, it's tricky with Dark Knight. I, I don't know. I would almost say, um, I would almost say, I would start with like Night Stalker, like Bad Ronald, and like This House Possessed. Well, of course you would start him with This House Possessed. That's the best movie ever made. <laughs> I would I would sort of start off there and then Dark Knight here's what I would do I wouldn't even tell this person the movie Dark Knight of the Scarecrow existed <laughs> un- until we got to Halloween and then on Halloween I'd just say hey let's watch a scary movie and I'd show them Dark Knight of the Scarecrow oh you got a game and plan if, and if they really if they really liked it and asked questions about it I'd tell them what it was if they didn't I'd say oh I'm glad you enjoyed it I don't know who this person is, <laughs> and if they're listening to this podcast, I just ruined it. You did, but I've got I've got an imaginary friend named I'm going to call him Del Monte. <laughs> Hi, Del no, Monte. I only green beans no. sometimes. Oh, <laughs> oh that's I got funny. that reference. No. <laughs> um, I'll I'll think of a better name, Greg. Okay, <laughs> my good friend Greg. Greg. I'm going to introduce Greg to TV movies. But Nate, what what do you think about that? Um, uh, probably if I was going to introduce someone to TV movies, I would start with Five Desperate Women. Who? Why that one? I don't know. It to me, um, that's a good it, one. I love it, but I I don't think it's like um, I would guess part of the A group of right. TV movies. But it's still not a bad film. I think it's a good in between to where if somebody saw it. You know, and uh, I guess movies along along that line, and then slowly work their way up. That's not to take anything away from Five Desperate One. Yeah, I happen please to don't. really, really love that film. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing uh, little th- movie, and it's got Bradford yeah. Dillman, who we're going to be talking about tonight. Oh yes, yeah. I think I I, <laughs> I like that Nate because that's sort of that's like with the 
like introduces someone to a slasher, you know, might show him like a he knows you're alone <gasps> or a night school, you know, something that's good but not at um, the top. So then, what is he it? He knows you're alone. My that was half my thesis paper was on he knows you're alone. Well, I like he knows you're alone very much. But but I I, I I think you can go up or down from He Knows You're Alone. I think it'll be hard for me to start someone out on slasher films only because I love all of them. Um, yeah, me too. Very, yeah. very much. So it's hard for me to, I guess, pick. I mean, I yeah, we had a friend come over a couple of weeks ago and he asked me to show him a, like a slasher film. And I said, you want to see something you've never seen before? He said, yes. And I showed him Blood Lake. Oh, amazing. We, you made that up. And, no, we did. It was our friend Sean. We showed him Blood Lake. It was a little, a little while ago, and he loved it. Oh, yay. He, we, had, we had a great time. I mean, I had to do a little bit of intro for it. You know, I had to – I gave him a little background on the film, and uh, I had to say, look out for little Tony. Yeah, Tony's the best. Because he's awesome. But it's it's just, you know, it's I, – I think, yeah, with t- I like the five desperate women idea because I do enjoy that one. You know, what's the one about the – um. The people like on top of a mountain. I knew you were going to say that. It's she's dressed to kill. She's dressed to kill. That one I think would work too. Yeah, I think last time we talked about five deaths for women, we talked about doubling it with she's dressed to kill, didn't we? I think, I think so. so. Yeah. 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 It was Christmas time. Well, I guess we have yeah. a double feature coming up, so be prepared. That's fun. Yeah. That'll yeah. be a fun. That's one. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. a good question. I don't know because I'm like Nate with TV movies, the way he is with slashers. Well, I also love most slashers. I'm pretty forgiving with my movies. <laughs> I, I except uh, except for Chris and her friends. Except for Last Slumber Party, At correct? Last Slumber. Oh. I do not like the Last Slumber Party. I know she breaks my heart. I also right do not like. I also do not like Final Exam. <laughs> And oh, I make no apologies oh, no. for it. I make what? no apologies for it. You don't like Don't oh. Go in the Woods either, do you? I don't, but you know what? I'd be willing to see that one again because I keep feeling like I'm missing out on something every time I watch it. But it's it's. I bad. just listen. I just listened to the Hysteria Continues commentary on Don't Go in the Woods Blu-ray Ooh. this weekend. It was very good. I had a great time. Thank you very much, Nate. And Thank Nate you. and everybody. I had a, it was it was a good time. I mean, show off. I, don't go in the butt w- kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Well, some someone somewhere said this week mentioned Sledgehammer, the DVD oh, right. of Sledgehammer, yeah. and I was on the commentary for Sledgehammer. Me and Joe from Bleeding yeah, Skull. Yeah, and I'm quoted so. on the box. You are, yes, that's, that's right. That's so funny. So that's, uh, that's our that's our sort of our our best friend soulmate. Yeah. Thing right Before there, we knew each it? other, we ended up on sl- yeah. the Sledgehammer DVD, which was are... really incredible. That yeah, they right. pulled my quote, and then I met the guy who picked my quote at a convention. Oh wow! Yeah, it was That's random, cool. and and my husband met him and was talking to him at the bar, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I just released this movie, Sledgehammer," and he's like, "Oh yeah, you quoted my wife on the cover." Oh really? So, and then we met. <laughs> he's a really nice guy. This totally got off topic. This did. We were um, Dark Knight well, and Scarecrow. Oh, TV. Here's oh. the struggle about talking with Dark Knight and Scarecrow. First of all, there's nothing to make fun of. Right, no, and I don't want to make fun of yeah. movies anyway. But there's not a lot of like jocularity you can pull out of this film, and like I guess and, we could talk about well, turning. I, w- I will oh, say go ahead. one one thing that might be jocular: the the preserves just hit the plate. Yes. On on my TV, and and um, Charles Durning just grabbed like four fried eggs. Of course he did. 
So I don't know if that's comedy, but it feels like it might be comedy. Although I really wish whenever I see like boarding house tables like this, I always imagine Laurel and Hardy at them, like having wackiness go on with like sure. salt and pepper shakers. Well, I could tell a Char- I could tell you a Charles Durning story. I can't remember if I ever told this story, and I wasn't there when it happened. Charles Durning. Story. I wasn't there. Oh. He was kind of legendary, I think, at Borders, one of the Borders in L.A. He and I can't remember if it was mine or not because I never saw him at that. Store. But I heard that he, his wife had him on a diet, like a lifelong diet that he never followed. And oh. that he would come into the bookstore with her and he would sneak up to the cafe and he would try uh-huh. to order muffins behind her back. And she would catch him like <laughs> half the time and they would have a little argument. And he always wore sweatpants that were too small and he tucked in his sweatshirt into the pan. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's Charles. And he was always really <laughs> grumpy because I think she was constantly starving him. And so he would give me, give me a muffin. And then they try to hand him a muffin, and his wife would run up and yell. He's so good. He's 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 so good. I don't know. Yeah, so he did the majority <laughs> I, of the stunts in this movie. And there's not like there's a lot of Otis yeah. P. Hazelrig stunts, but that is really him reading Boudoir magazine. Yes, that's <laughs> that is him falling out of the uh, mail truck when oh, it hits the yes. tree and running the through the stunts. through the what is it the cornfield or whatever. Run through the cornfield. Yeah. Oh boy. So he and, the, and go ahead. I was going to say the director and the writer do point out that that one shot, it's not a tractor. It's a heavy – what is that thing? That steam shovely? It's not a steam sho- – that the thing that chases Charles yeah, during the Yeah, I know what you're talking scene. about, but I don't know if I um, – I, um, there's, a, there's a brief shot of one of the levers moving on its own. Right. And the director and the writer say that they argued about that for days, whether or not that should be in there. And then in the end, they decided to put that in. Just to confirm that, yes, there's something supernatural. Well, it works because the end kind of solidifies all, that. I, I think it's also it's also heightened and it's also crazy at that moment that just everything's built to such a crescendo that just that that brief moment is just like another moment of oh oh gosh oh yeah wow you know it's it's another. Uh, it's another dollop of preserve well, on my head. So, so we're was. kind of giving the anyway, but I feel like I should ask uh, Dan and Nate here. When you watched this movie for the first time, did you think it was anybody but Bubba? Nate? Yes. Did you? I thought it was his mother. At did first. you? Yes. And did she just seem suspicious, or? Yeah, and and I thought, um, I thought at first that she wasn't the most likely suspect. And I was I was really young at the time, so of course I was wanting to guess the most outlandish idea right. that this little old uh-huh. lady could be killing all these <laughs> men, off you know. But creeping creeping around the bar <laughs> loft. Yeah, I <laughs> love the idea of that. Um, that sounds uh, like a Nate film. But it would have been kind of amazing at the end if they ripped off the mask and it was her, right? <laughs> <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> I was talking about me. Has anybody here seen Hack a Lantern? Yes. Yeah. Okay, sure, so yeah. I don't want to give away the end of that, but you know, when they reveal the killer, you're like, that's impossible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is flat out impossible. Ooh, I'm gonna have to pick that for like my hysteric opinion. I think sometimes. you should. I'm actually supposed to be writing a review of it for Justin, you and should. I've written like half yeah. of it. Be- I just a, saw it in the theater. Oh, yes, that's awesome. Gorgeous. It's supposed to come out in something soon, isn't it? Like a nice. Oh, is it? Nice something. I thought so. Like someone was looking into release it somewhere. Maybe Vinegar Syndrome or some oh. somewhere. I don't know. Well, they're releasing what is it like a Luther the Geek in like oh, the next wow. month. So, well, that's a, so I at, guess that's on the same line as. 
It's all up, all up for grabs yeah. now. We actually got offered uh, the commentary on Luther the Geek, but we didn't take it. Oh wow! <gasps> oh wow! Why? You know what? You know what's what's funny about that one is that well, I don't know if it's funny, and I'm sorry if no one laughs. Then I've led you to think this would be humorous. Carlton Albright, who made that, uh-huh. who also worked on the Children. Oh yeah. Um, Ariana Albright, yes. the actress. I could have sworn at one time she told me Carlton was related to her in oh, some way. I should ask her. I could be wrong. I guess you could ask her too. I mean, you still know Ariana, don't you? I, I should so. Yeah, yeah. I was because uh, because because uh, we we either watch the child. Oh no, we're gonna, the children. I'm sorry, we're going to watch the children. And she says something like, "Oh, someone who's supposed to be related to me made that or I believe an uncle." It. I believe it. Yeah. But um, but uh, but yeah, Luther the Geek is is interesting, but in no way related to TV movies. No, I feel like tonight is the tangent cast. <laughs> I'm sorry because you know I do. Th- I, I think, think that we. I think well, first of all, even though we took a month off, I feel like I'm totally not prepared. But I feel like that every podcast, so that's just par for the course. But also, it's what I said. This is like a really hard movie to talk about because it's it's so good that you kind of yeah. all you can say is, "Oh my god, that's so good." But like. It's almost too perfect in a way for discussion, I find. Uh, I, I posted on, on Facebook, I put as my little background photo a few days ago, uh, the Scarecrow in the dark. Yes. And immediately I got a bunch of folks, you know, commenting, woo, woo, woo. And um, Rob from the Killer POV podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have ever heard yes, that. Yes, I listened to you uh, on it. Oh, yes. I was on episode 63. <laughs> Thank you very much. With with Rebecca Elric and sure. Rob, it was, uh, they're they're awesome. And um, there's and a he, third he, host uh, too, right? Is, is it Ryan Turk? He, no, it's Elric, uh, Rebecca, and Rob. Oh, I'm sorry, you said Rob and Elric. I'm sorry. Why did I think Ryan Turk oh, did a podcast? He may have been on there. Okay. I, I don't know, but uh, but he he uh, he immediately said the Blu-ray is definitely worth watching, and it's like, yeah, this it's 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 weird. Night of the Scarecrow is weird because it's. I think one of the f- very few movies that we'll mention here that doesn't need us to blab too much about it. Yeah, we did. We, I mean, we've been talking for almost an hour, but yeah. Technically, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. found some way to talk about it. But I just feel like everything I want to say, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. What can you add? You know what I mean? I, I, almost, I almost would love everyone who's listening to this to go and watch it. And then when you've watched it one by one, you know, on Twitter or Facebook or email, tell us you've watched it. And then when everyone who's listening right now has watched it, we'll do another episode where we can all discuss what we've all watched. Does that make any sense? Does that, is what do you mean? Like, do you want us to tell them what they thought of it? Right. Uh, I, I almost feel like, uh, this, this should be, we should do like an epic Skype call. Oh, I see. We, we call everybody who's watched it. We could bring in like 50, yeah, 60, I'm not going to do that. Dan. I can barely handle three people on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone over. You have. I it's can't. The, it's the allergy medicine. But it would be great. If, like, so we get feedback, but we we very seldom get feedback about the movies we're talking about. But it, if people want to watch or have watched Dark Knight of the Scarecrow or are watching it or hear this podcast and then want to watch it, we would love to hear what people think about it because obviously we love the movie, but we're sort of like at a loss for it. I love it so much. It's almost like I can't even talk about it. You know what I mean? Yes. So I can't, I can't put the right words to this movie because it's so perfect to me. And it's really interesting. The only reason why this house possessed is my number one TV movie of all time and not dark Knight of the scarecrow is because Parker Stevenson. And, and you can't, you could, you could, you could talk about that. It's, it's interesting. I wonder if it's more um, personal 
all time favorite. Oh, yeah. You can talk talk about, but but one like this that we can all sort of agree is really very good. I mean, at the end of the day, we can give a background to it and point out a few things, but really watch it. Yeah, it just needs to be seen. I do have some trivia, though. Do you want me to go ahead and do that? I, oh, yes, please. I have a little bit myself. Okay, great. Well, uh, if I step on any toes, let me know and I can stop and you can do it. But <laughs> um, So uh, this originally aired on October 24th, 1981 on CBS. It ran against, on ABC, an episode of The Love Boat and an episode of Fantasy Island. I think the episode of Love Boat had – it was there was an Isaac-centered story, but I can't remember – the name of it, but I feel like there's an Isaac robot or something like that. So um, that would have been tough to choose between those two. Wow. I'm just putting that out there. Um, on NBC, they aired a pilot movie called Fritz and Bones. I wrote Fritz and Bone, but I think it's Fritz and Bones, which was a pilot movie that starred the Smothers Brothers and was a comedy adventure about two investigative TV newsmen and a movie that I've never heard of. Have either one of you heard of that movie? No. Nate? No, I haven't heard of it either. I was trying to think, but that does not sound familiar to me. <laughs> I would I would think that Nate is like the world's biggest Mother's Brothers fan. I just said that. I didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> Who are the Smothers Brothers? Oh my god. You know, they're a comedy <laughs> duo that had a bunch of TV shows. Some of them were semi controversial in the sixties because I think the humor in the late 60s, was pretty yeah, satirical. But... And um, I I know them of their lighter humor. They they've had like I don't know, was it sketch comedy that they mostly did? I used to have an album where they did a bunch of comedy songs and comedy and, bits. And, and one stuff. of them has a mustache and has dark hair, and the other one's blonde, and the blonde one always plays the dippy one. And they look like, even though they had some subversive moments, they look like they could just be two members of, like, the preppy beach boys. Yeah, I think that was part of the humor, though, wasn't it? Because they were deceptively yeah. witty when they look like just kind of like regular guys that would have like a, at that stage wear their little skinny ties and their suits and like were like insurance salesmen, but they were really, they commented a lot on society and culture Yeah, and um, they were pretty but So I guess they tried to put them in this comedy, which I surprisingly have never run across at all. So it must've gotten like no press when it came out. Well, robot Isaac and dark Knight of the scarecrow. What are you going to do? Yeah. It's I hard mean, to compete against those. That's like those two. That's like, that's like Super Bowl and a, like an American Idol finale from the <laughs> early years of American Idol. You know, it's like I will say that um, the director talks about so when they shot it in Peru, apparently it was really warm, like blazing hot, and they were given eight, eighteen days to shoot the film, but there was a fire, and the yeah. uh, fire trucks came and they told them that not to be near the area for a day, so they actually had to shoot it in seventeen days. So that I think that's really interesting. Eighteen days alone is really difficult, but then on seventeen must have been really crazy and i think i mentioned a lot of the other stuff that we've talked about or one of us has mentioned i'm sorry i didn't mention dan mentioned a lot of it uh also but an important part was strother martin was originally supposed to play oz i wrote ozel otis hazelrig who died <laughs> before production however he did suggest certain lines of dialogue to the character which were retained in the film so some of uh charles durning's uh dialogue was actually written by strother martin or suggested to the author or the screenwriter and then put in the movie. So I think that's really interesting, kind of a nice tribute because I think he died like right before production. And I think, I believe one of the lines was, uh, uh, he's, you know, he's got the, he's, he mentally, he's the same age as Mary Lee. And then Charles Durning says, but he's physically mature yeah. or something that's like also, that. So that's that, a pretty that, clear indicator too, in retrospect about Charles Durning's proclivities. Yes. Yes. And just watching the scene in the hallway at the costume party, I forget that Mary Lee is dressed as a a woman. Um, 
A woman, yeah, I didn't want to sound like a su- super perv. No, right but she there, is. But she's, she's wearing dressed. makeup and she's got she's, a dress and heels. And and Charles Durning says, "Are you dressed as your mama or something?" Yeah, it's you know, it's. I, and I, I didn't have. I probably should have had that in the clip, but the clip, the scene is so long, and there's uh-huh. lots of dead air because a lot of it is him just staring at her and you being really uncomfortable watching it. So I tried to cut <laughs> it to like the meat of the conversation. But there's some really also there's some really great lighting in that scene. I I feel like there's it's almost like a Bella Lugosi Dracula lighting on his eyes at some points. It's oh, not yeah. as intense, yeah. but there's like this sort of concentration on the way he's glazing glazing. Oh my god, I'm so off gazing, gazing yeah. at her. Or glazed donuts as he apparently was trying to sneak on the set. <laughs> Um, you, he saw her as a donut. You, Do you think that was his motivation when he was watching the <laughs> when he was shooting the scene? Was She's a- Frank DiFolito was standing off to one side, <laughs> just with a donut dangling it, and he was like, "Oh man, if I can just She's a glazed if donut. I can convince if I can convince Frank that donut is mine." <laughs> yeah, I think that might have been what he was thinking. Also, Clotterell Jones, who played was it Philby? Uh, I just wanted to mention people may recognize him from a bunch of television, but I know him best from starring in She Freak. As the guy who owned the diner, and holy mackerel, yes, and, I just watched that two weekends ago. That's why I yes, he was the, the not the star of it, but he bookends the movie. And then he yes. he was also in Dallas, although I don't particularly remember his Dallas character name. But he he was a recurring oh. character in Dallas, which makes it really interesting that Tanya Crow, who played Mary Lee, was Abby Cunningham Ewing's daughter on Knots Landing. Wow! Full circle, guys. Wow. Circle. She she freak is one of my all time favorite films. Wow, that's a good movie. That it was, no, that's a good movie. I said just for the I saw that on the big screen for the first time like five or six years ago, and just the carnival footage alone is astounding. I saw. I forgot it was him. I'm looking at him. There he is. I saw him. Uh, I saw she freak in the theater and got to actually spend the day with David F. Freeman. I should say the night. Oh my yeah, gosh. he came to this Shakarama, which was like a 24-hour movie marathon. Well, it was like 48 hours or something. And we went to – we didn't stay for the 48 hours, but we did the first night. And then I, we came back the next night and hung out with Ted B. Michaels. But I, I know him a little better. Oh, wow. But where, where was that This at? was in L.A. It, I can't remember. Oh, what? I can't remember the name of the guy that used to run it, but he moved to New York. and um, But he had a friend who picked up David Friedman. What was it? It was like Adam Trash, I think, was the name of the guy that he hung out with. And so – That sounds like a name. Yeah. yeah and so – David Freeman was at the time like ninety percent blind, and was his like daughter yeah, his, or granddaughter? His grandniece, or yeah. grandniece was with him, okay. and she brought him to the show with Adam Trash. And I don't remember; he must have spoke. And at the time, two thousand and one, Maniacs was going to come out, so they were sort okay. of promoting that. And he talked and whatever. And then, strangely enough, somebody set up at a bar. This must have been. Oh no, maybe he spoke the night after. So the first night we, maybe it wasn't the screening. I'm messing up the story, but it's actually a really good story. <laughs> the first night was at a bar. It was like the sort of pre-party and they, somebody brought him and his grandniece. And for whatever reason, they thought that showing William Hellfire's Duck the Carbine High Massacre was the God. movie that they should screen while David Friedman <laughs> was at the bar. So he sat there. And watched it with me. I sat next to him the whole night. And we talked through the whole movie. And he was 90% blind anyway. So uh-huh. I don't think he cared what was on screen. I kind of like Carbine. I'm going to admit. I, of all the William Hill Farm movies I've seen. Which is like three. I think it's probably the most proficient. But uh, uh-huh. And it's kind of interesting. Because he had cancer at the time he made it. And he, and he stars in it. And he plays like one of the Columbine kids. 
I think it's an interesting portrayal and interesting inspiration for somebody who was facing death. But um, anyway, see how serious I get when I talk about carbine high. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so I ended up spending like the entire night with David Freeman and it was like a completely amazing experience. And I think I have a She Freak signed lobby card as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was. And I, we'll get back to TV movies in a moment. Folks, this is really just a horror movie podcast tonight. Sorry. <laughs> this, this has become a horror movie, and I apologize, everyone. But I think that's what Dark Knight does. It's, it's a, it's, it. I think I don't want to say transcends, it but it is. It, 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 it steps into yes the world of horror movies without any. I mean, it's like the soundtrack is there, the cinematography is there, the acting is there, everything is there. You don't have to for a moment like listen to it and go, oh, there are those, you know, made-for-TV movie horns and strings that we all hear, you know, that kind of, in all the movies, you know, da-da-da-da-da kind of thing. You know, it's it's doing, it's a movie. So we've, I think we put it into a spot with other horror movies. Yeah, I movies. think it's inspiring us to talk about other, other. Yeah, She Freak at a, it was, a, it was like a 36-hour festival or something in L.A., and it was, and it started with The Defilers, David F. Friedman. Okay. And then it's then She Freak, and then David F. Friedman and his grandniece came out, mm-hmm. and then I forget what they they showed. Um, Street Trash, they showed Burial Ground, they showed Swedish Playthings, which was at three in the morning. Which is the I, I will say this: when you're sitting in a cold theater in the middle of the night, like at the start of December the least sexy thing you can do is show a Swedish sex film from the seventies. There's nothing sexy at all about sure. that. And they, they showed man from deep river, wow. Ultraman. Uh, they showed a bunch of really great stuff and lasted great. all night. And it was, it was fantastic. And it was so nice because, uh, I'd never seen she freak before. And my God, it's that guy. It's Philby. I did. Yes. I sat there looking at him this whole movie going, I know him from so many things. Well, one of them is She Freak. Actually, all the all the uh, the posse are all really well established character actors, including Lane Smith, who's probably I think the most famous of the three of them. But Robert F. Lyons, who played Skeeter, is in everything. He's in everything, yeah. and, and they're all really great actors. I mean, they're first class performances from everybody. Um, I don't want to give too much away about uh, Skeeter's hat. But I will say, don't do it. Don't I will do say it. that they had a really hard time with the hat in uh, a scene towards the end um, involving oh, yes. the shovel. And so if you see a shovel and a hat, just know that they had difficulty getting the hat and the shovel to correlate. Yeah. I want to see if I can play this sure. clip, but just a snippet, because I'm really obsessed with the way Skeeter delivers this line. Let's see if I can play it and cut it off. Mr. Hazelrig. <laughs> I just like <laughs> Mr. Hazelrig. I really, I actually think Skeeter and Mr. Hazelrig are lovers. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> well, you know when they when they go to see if, if he's in the grave, if Bubba's in his grave, and then he has that hysterical moment where he has this huge freak out and Charles Durning is cradling him in his arms? That's There's a lot going on in that scene that is unspoken between two men. Yeah. Huh. So I'm just telling you, I think, there was a little Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of um, an interesting theory. You're you're telling me you didn't think that instantly when you saw that? I mean, listen to this. Mr. Hazelrig. <laughs> Come on. He's so excited to see him. He does have a little. <laughs> Mr. Hazelrig's coming to visit him. And he's like, wow, Mr. Hazelrig, I do declare I have the vapors whenever you're in the room. I mean, did you get that? Oh, Southern Amanda is here. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, I did get that. 
the second time I got it. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you can't see my hands, but I'm doing that sign from Weird Science when he goes a little nightlife, and they're sort of trying to indicate that there's more than nightlife going on. So, um, okay, so I'll get off of that. But if just so everybody think about it, when you watch Charles Durning cradling his lover in his arms, oh, think about the the importance of that scene and how you feel about it, watching it unfold. So that's all I ask of our audience. So um, I said this on the first podcast when we talked about Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, but Horror Hound called it the first Scarecrow horror movie. And so I tried to do a little research, and I'm sure Horror Hound is right. Like, I don't want, I'm not here to like, oh, they're totally wrong. They missed this movie. But I was curious about the history of Scarecrows uh, used as scary characters in film. And apparently they're, they were used a lot if you like Google Oh, you go on IMDb and you use Scarecrow as your keyword. You can probably come up with a pretty good list of movies. It's just Scarecrows weren't central to the movie. But but I came across something that I feel like I should know, but I don't. But Disney did. I think it was a miniseries called The Scarecrow of Romney Marsh, which was based on Russell Thorndike's novel, Dr. Sin, A Tale of the Romney Marsh, which was then Dr. Dr. Sin, S-Y-N, A Tale of the Romney Marsh, which was later adapted by Hammer. Uh, and was called Night Creatures. I think it had an AKA, but that was like the generic title they eventually gave it. Then that essentially was actually that Night Creatures was a remake of a 1937 adaptation called Dr. Sin. So Dr. Sin was apparently, I think he was like an anti-hero and he dressed up like a scarecrow and he was scary because of his disguise. But I think the, the person in the scarecrow outfit was actually a good guy, but I'm not positive of that. Oh, wow, I know Doctor Sin from somewhere, but I'm not sure where. Well, there's oh. Doctor Zen from Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, Johnny Quest. Oh <laughs> yes, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, <laughs> Mr. Hazelrig. Mr. Hazelrig, and of course, uh, what, around 1967 was a uh, Scarecrow uh, became was a Batman villain. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So yeah, I mean, he didn't. He appeared in cartoons and stuff. He didn't appear in movies until Batman Begins. But I mean, but... it's 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 been used. I just think that Dark Knight of the Scarecrow was the first film to use it that way, where it was like yeah. a killer scarecrow. And I'm not. I'm definitely yes. not going to contradict Horror Hound. They're a fantastic magazine. But I just got curious yeah. about like what other movies had scarecrows, and that really struck me that this book had so many adaptations of it. And I, I'd like to see it. I would bet. I would bet you there was a TV episode of something, maybe British or something in the 70s that we're not familiar sure. with that and, had, like, scarecrows in and it. And I guarantee you one of our listeners probably knows it because yeah. everybody knows something different from other people. So, And we're going to have feedback information at the end. But if you know anything about scarecrow horror and television, we'd love to hear about it. Or if you want yeah. to talk about Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, we really would love uh, – we love the feedback we get. We would also like feedback about the films. and. I'm not sure how to word it. I mean, we know a lot of the people listening are very familiar with the movies. Some aren't. Some are just listening out of curiosity, I found, which is also great. But anytime you watch a movie, whether we've already talked about it six months ago or we're talking about it now, um, we'd always love to hear. And it doesn't. we don't even have to talk about the movie. If you want to just talk about a TV movie you like or have discovered, we would like to hear that as well. So we'll have that feedback at the end. And my last note, which is I wrote composer, Glenn Paxton. And I just wanted to mention it because I think it's a pretty stellar soundtrack. Oh, yes. It's yeah. very good. And I have it. So apparently they released it somewhere as a full soundtrack. Huh. And I don't know why or where, but I found it online. I don't promote bootlegging, but I mean, that's something you just don't come across on Amazon as far as I know. So, um, And I just stumbled on it and I was like, holy cow. And I grabbed it. Wow. Nice. 
it is a fantastic soundtrack. It really, uh, it really does nail. Uh, it, it, well, it is from the time period, but it really like gets that the horror of the time period. Correct, it does, and it, it's I really think. like we heard it in that scene where the wife is talking to her husband, and it just starts really slow, and then there's like some keys, right? And yeah. it's just it, the buildup of the music is is really wonderful. I will say the soundtrack does a lot of the same. It's not there's not a lot of variety in the soundtrack. Like the whole soundtrack, it's it's really different versions of the same Variations, song. I, I will think, say yeah. that this composer also did the Two Worlds of Jenny Logan, which I don't remember the soundtrack for, but that's a really cool movie, kind of epic. I, so uh-huh. I'll be interested to see that. And apparently, he did a bunch of after school specials. So oh, he did wow. a lot of tele. It looks like he did primarily television, not uh-huh. a huge amount of stuff, but um, but it's mostly TV. So I'm looking forward to checking out his music. I, I think he's a really impressive artist. I was just watching Phil be taking some nitro pills as he's being chased by a killer supernatural scarecrow. Well, or he could be chased by the lady and she freak. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. These those nitro pills, those are crazy. Do you know how those work? No. Do you know? They're for uh, you. You 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 pop them in your mouth and you let them sit there for a moment, and they immediately begin to increase blood flow. Oh, right. Which is why they're for heart patients, because the heart is clogging up, and you pop some nitro pills, they immediately increase blood flow. And the the way the way you can tell if they're um, uh, working for your heart is you get a headache because it lets too much blood flow through the head, and it hurts. I'd your rather head. have a heart attack than a headache. I know, Mate. me too, me too. Oh um, well, I get <laughs> headaches regularly, so. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! What? Like migraines or it's not um I would say migraines. It's just you know, I get um I have really bad eyesight and oh. um the contacts I have are extremely strong, but uh-huh. I still sometimes don't even know if they're strong enough because I feel like it's a lot of straining headache. Right. Sure, yeah. sure. Those are the worst. Can you can you do glasses or is it uh Oh I have glasses, prefer... they look like Coke bottles. <laughs> <laughs> You look like a guy from prom night. Yes. Or oh, the gardener, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or janitor, whatever it is. And also, I'm sorry, just to get back on the movie, we should also mention that Bubba's mom is played by Marlon Brando's sister, Jocelyn Brando. Yes. And I haven't really yes. seen her in anything else. I'm, she was I'm very not, good no. in this. She's been, actually, she yeah. was kind of lovely when she was young. Her IMDb pictures her sort of, I guess, in her 30s or maybe early 40s. She's kind of stunning. Uh, and, and not in a really Hollywood way, but kind of interesting looking. Yeah, she's amazing in this movie. Apparently her last movie was Starflight, The Plane That Couldn't Land. I do not remember oh. her in that. And she was also in the iconic Darkroom episode, Catnip. I have Which seen also that. starred Kavanaugh from Porky's. It's really good, except the cat noises really get on your nerves after a while. Oh, yeah. And she was also on Dallas as well. She was Mrs. Reeves, Ooh. whoever that was, in the earlier episodes. Maybe that's where I recognize. It might her from, be. Possibly. I don't know that I've I've probably seen her stuff and just didn't connect her to Dark Knight and Scarecrow. But I feel like we should mention her because yeah, she's very good and also because she's yeah. Marlon Brando's uh, sister. Yeah. Apparently, they they liked her very much uh, on the movie working with her, which is interesting because I would think working with Marlon Brando would be a pain in the ass. Yeah, but she seemed to be the opposite of that, so it's kind of nice. Yeah. And oh, go ahead, Nate. Oh, I was just gonna say. Unfortunately, it's becoming my oh. bedtime well i was just gonna say i think we're done <laughs> so, except, wait one more thing one more thing mr hazelrig oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he did it's like it's like he's almost yeah he does kind of sound like he has the vapors he does. Uh, there i'm he hearing does. that his man came to see him he never comes to see him at work <laughs> what kind of stories could he have to tell him 
<laughs> Tales of his postal delivery, Mr. Hazelrig. Uh, and I might have some exciting news. Um, oh, yeah? We're getting our um, office set up, and I'm going to... We're going to have a much better desktop system in there. So I might be able to get a microphone, and then that infernal buzzing will be over. Oh, infernal. Oh, hey. I love when people use the word infernal. infernal. <laughs> That's a good word. Um, well, hopefully, we'll, yeah. um, we'll keep our fingers crossed. And Yeah, and what we'll do is next next uh, episode, Nate, when you come on, we'll, we'll do, we can do five minutes with Nate if yeah, you I want think, to talk about I revenge. think we're going to start to make that uh, And I picture myself when we're doing the segment – Sitting in, um, you know, a rocking chair by a fireplace. Yes, <laughs> with with a big yes. book in my hand. It's time for five minutes with Nathan. <laughs> Some glasses of lemonade. Yeah, we'll or have something, to do web, a webcast of it. Oh, that'd be oh, great. Pipe. Oh. <laughs> I, like I need that. a pipe. Yes. Yes. I think mm. okay. I think it's a plan. So next time, just get your smoking jacket and your ascot ready. Oh yes. And your webcam, and we will talk to you about revenge. <laughs> Yes. Woo-hoo. Thank you. Yeah, thanks Thank so much, Nate. Is there anything us. you want to promote or? Oh yes, please. Oh, I, I don't think I really have anything coming up. Um, uh... Well, tell us what your next uh, Hysteria Continues podcast is. It's a good one. Oh my goodness, this is remember? awful. I don't remember. It is nightmares in a damaged it's brain. Nightmare. Yes. Nightmare. Oh yes, of course. One yes. of my favorites. Romano Scavelli. I've seen that movie so many times. I probably don't even have to rewatch it to talk about it, but of course I'm yes. going to. You know what? I can't sure. watch it all that often. It really freaks me out. It's it's very I, it's very um, brutal. I think it's like, super emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think this might be the first time I actually write a letter to your show, so I should probably do that before you guys do it because <laughs> I was fall behind. But anyway, I, so if anybody is looking for a really good horror podcast, definitely check out the Hysteria Continues. It's one of the best. Yeah. Um, and their next episode is going to be Nightmares and Damaged Brain, which we all uh, unanimously agree is a fantastic movie. So you should watch a lot. Yes. I, have, I, I have the Code Red Blu-ray uh, of it. I have this on VHS. Oh. Every, I have everything on VHS. <laughs> and I'm too cheap to yeah, transfer yeah. it over. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward okay, to it, so Nate, to hear what you guys think. Yeah, so it, feel so. better, Nate, and we'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Thank please. you both. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Have a good night. Good night. Bye. Good night. Bye-bye. Okay, so we'll go on to our next movie, which is the more obscure of the two. And um, it's really good. It's one of my favorites. I find that the more I watch it, the more I like it. It's called Revenge. It came out in 1971. It is um, an ABC movie of the week. And it has a really amazing cast. It's got Shelley Winters, who really found a home for herself. Well, in everything in the seventies, it seemed like, but I feel like she did some, <laughs> yeah, she did some really good work on television. I'm thinking of the devil's daughter here. And, um, this movie I think are two really great companions to each other for her performances. Uh, it's also got Stuart Whitman. If you don't know who Stuart Whitman is, just Google him and you will recognize his face instantly. He was in everything and worked a lot. He, I don't think he still works, but he was working well into the 80s and probably into the 90s, and he's still with us. And um, so is Bradford Dillman, who is also a pretty famous character actor. And the woman who plays the wife in this is named Carol Eve Rawson. And you know what? I'm not sure I recognize her. I vaguely recognize her. Her hair bothered me throughout. It was the a very season, 70s so I, I, kind of like it was like if they could take a shag and then make it a housewife haircut. Yeah, like it was it was like a shag that was run down at the Yeah, end of the but day you know what though? She puts in a really stellar performance, the actress. She's really very yeah. good. Yeah, she she gets she gets sort of the second plot line in the movie that actually overwhelms the movie yeah, at some point. Yeah, well it goes um, places you don't think it's gonna go. 
her yes. story. So yeah. I guess you should go ahead and give us the breakdown. A breakdown again. I'll, I'll try not to go too crazy because I, I I feel like I may go overboard a little sometimes here, but revenge begins um, with uh, uh, we're in a city. There's you see um, basically like a woman from the waist down in a nice dress and you know um, heels and uh, she has a tan briefcase and she goes into is it an airport? I was a little yeah, I'm not unsure. Really sure. like Some an, kind of I, terminal air, or something. Airport terminal bus station something like that. You see three guys coming back from like a business trip and one of them says, you know, like, hey, give me a second. He sets down his, his briefcase and he goes over to a counter and he gets like a newspaper. While he's over there, you see this the the bottom half of this woman pass by and switch briefcases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the gentleman whose name is Frank, Frank Clanner, is that? Cl- I believe it's Clanner. Clanner that's the name. Uh, played by Bradford Dillman, Frank, is um, – uh, picks up the, the briefcase and almost immediately realizes it's not his. He opens it up and there are peanut butter sandwiches in it and some random things. And there's a scene where he's he's standing with his two business buddies and they're saying, "Well, oh, you need to do something. Da da da. This is this is this could be bad. It you know there there were files in there. Your name was in there. And Frank is very um, surprisingly he's very much like you know what? I'm sure it was a mistake. I'm sure they'll call me." I don't, I'm not going to worry about it. And he goes about his business. Uh, we go back to his his apartment, and his wife uh, Diane is there, and their their son. And um, in one, the scene in their apartment is one long take that's about a minute yes. and a half. And in the minute and a half, he comes home briefly, chats with his wife, who doesn't, who seems a, <laughs> I guess he must travel a lot. Yes. She doesn't seem terribly happy he gets a call from someone saying hey i've got your briefcase and he leaves immediately and we can talk about the one take shot later on because i i thought it was i thought it was pretty interesting but he leaves and as he leaves there's a weird moment when the camera sort of zooms in on her and the music plays a little weird for a second the first time i watched it i thought it was it's a housewife getting annoyed that is her husband has been away for a week and he's been home for approximately 83 seconds right. and he goes out again I get it. He he goes to a location. They're in San Francisco. I apologize. They are in San Francisco. He goes to a location and uh, a woman, uh, it's Amanda Hilton. Correct. Played by Shelley Winters arrives. And uh, you can tell whenever I say a name, I've got the um, the Merrill TV <laughs> movie book in front of me. And I'm, look, I'm looking down to make sure. So you might hear my voice go away and then come back. And Amanda says, oh, oh, I gave you the wrong address. Please come across the street to my house. And she has this lovely house that she says is one of the few that survived the San Francisco earthquake. And it has these two, like, lions sort of um, – uh, I was going to say, like, the uh, the lions you see in um, – oh, gosh, where is it in London? I forget. The big square in London. There are, like, these big lions in them. And uh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm not that even was, trying uh, to say what that is. Yes, I think I want to say they're near Nelson's column. There are huge lions, but I could be wrong. But there are these lovely lions in front of her house, and they go inside. And um, Amanda's uh, obfuscating a little bit. She's being a little vague about the briefcase and what's going on. And eventually, she ends up basically knocking Frank unconscious, dragging him down the stairs, and putting him in a cage. <laughs> well, you know, and it is Bradford Dillman. It is Bradford Dillman, and you want to keep him close you by. Do. And we learn gradually throughout the movie that Amanda has Frank locked up down there because her daughter, whose name I may not have written down. Uh, yeah, I think it's in the the clip I have. Oh, yeah, let's, let's make sure I play the right one. I did these clips out of order. So <laughs> uh, 
Um, I think this is their first conversation. Okay. I'm Miriam Hilton's mother. Miriam Hilton? Who? Yes, yes, Miriam Hilton. All right, you'll have plenty of time to remember. Remember what? I, what, what the hell are you talking about? You have a very nasty mouth. You use the word hell as if it was perfectly acceptable usage in the English language. Look, I don't know any Miriam Hilton. No. Atlantic City. Atlantic City? Uh-huh, well, yes, I've been to Atlantic City, yes. I was there uh, exactly once. I guess it was at least a year ago, so? Uh, to be exact, wasn't it six months ago? Yeah, okay, it was, uh, yes, you're right, it was six months. And it was a data processing convention, and I met hundreds of people from all over the country, but I don't remember any Miriam Hilton. Hilton! Hilton, I don't know who she is, damn it! Don't you use her name like that! Perhaps we should wash your mouth out with soap and water. All right, I know what you're doing. Well, when you decide to be honest with me, I'll get you some food and water. Good night. Wait. Police, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And commercial. Commercial. I was <laughs> going to say, and there's a commercial break. <laughs> Obviously, Amanda believes that Frank deflowered her child at this convention. I mean, we can spoil it here. Do we want to spoil it? Well, I mean, you can folks, kind of go or? into the second story. I let's okay. We'll go into the second missing. thread here because so Frank is missing, and so Diane goes to the police, and she has several routes. She she tries to sort of follow, and she has a friend, and I don't remember the friend's it's name. It's Nancy, played by Leslie Charleston, who we yes, know Nancy best Roma. as Dr. Monica Quartermain on General Hospital. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Um, uh, and Nancy brings Diane to see a psychic. And the psychic is played by Mr. Stuart yes, Webber, ladies and gentlemen. Mark, his name is Mark. Yes. And he he has a he has one of those scenes where like he divines what everyone wants from him and he's really an amazing psychic and everything like that. Uh, I have that clip and too. I, oh, I I like okay, clips. Here we go. Mr. Hazelrick. Oh, whoops, that was <laughs> I did that by accident, I swear. <laughs> you you really you really can't hear it. You really can't it does it does. It almost. It. He does. He sounds like a Southern Belle who's been snuck up on by Clark Gable, Mr. Hazelwood. Except it's Charles Durning, and it's just a dirty man oh in, in a polka dot hat. Okay, let's hope this is the right clip. Let's try this one. I get the initials D.K. Strange. I keep getting Anne. Of course, Anne doesn't begin with a D. Diane. Diane. Diane Clanner. And you want to know what your husband, Frank, went out for. Your husband went out for... briefcase 
commercial. Another commercial. <laughs> There's a lot of yes. commercials in this one. So she kind of enlists his help to try to help find her husband because she doesn't think the. I'm sorry, um, Diane enlists uh, um, Mark's help to help find the husband. So as Amanda is more or less berating Frank for what she believes Frank did to her daughter, Mark and Diane are sort of uh, looking for for. Um, uh, Frank, but but not not quite. It's 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 interesting the way it goes because as because it starts off with Diane sort of being not not quite skeptical, but a little bit eh, eh, about going to see a psychic. But then somewhere in there, kind of uh, Mark gives a clue about parallel lines. Yeah, you know what? That, I, I feel like that's an entendre. Because uh, he, there are parallel lines, as we see, because it sort of morphs into the cage and the shadow of the cage. Yes. But I also think he might have meant lions. Yes. Which are the lines you're referring yes. to. Yes. And so there's this it's, – it's a, it's a wonderfully weird movie because you think it's going to be sort of a cat and mouse thing between Amanda and Frank. But it's actually more about Diane discovering that she has actual psychic abilities. Yes. And Mark sort of denigrating his psychic abilities yes. the more she realizes she has hers. And it's 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 slightly strangely put together. It's 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 always a fascinating film to watch because it doesn't do what you think it's going to do. Right. But it's it's also very interesting. <laughs> I will say the one the one thing I thought was I could have had more Shelley Winters in the film. Well, any movie could have more Shelley Winters. That's true. And if she had had that sombrero on that she wears in tentacles, <laughs> could you imagine, like, if she had come down to berate uh, Bradford Dillman with that enormous yeah. sombrero on? That he would have been terrified. Uh, I I love it. I That would have been fantastic. She could have brought John Houston down as her brother, and it would oh have been great. Um, and b basically, it's, it's Amanda trying to get Frank to admit what he did to her daughter, while uh, Diane sort of peerlessly discovering her ESP psychic right, powers well, finding her husband. Um, looking is looking yeah. for her husband with help from Mark who becomes a little obtuse sort of I th I think um Stuart Whitman he used a lot of sort of this character uh about eight years later in the movie Demonoid oh, yeah you were talking about he, Demonoid yeah he I think he because the priest in Demonoid is sort of like he's a priest, but he's a little bit he's a little bit vagueish on not vagueish as in Vegas ish, <laughs> vagueish v a g u e ish about what's what's happening, right. and uh, cool. and it's a it's it, it's a fascinating movie because it doesn't quite go where you think it's going to go, but then it sort of ends up going where you thought it was going to go, um, and there's this there's this Shelley Winters is at the center of it like like this rock like just being so weird and so well, wonderful. What's so great about Shelley Winter's character is that uh, she's doing a horrible thing, but she's doing it out of grief. And so in some yes. ways there's no bad guy in the movie because obviously you just don't abduct somebody when they do something you don't like and nobody condones yeah. that. Let's just put that out there. But at the same time, her whole life was obviously surrounded around her daughter. And I know this is going to be really obscure, but I'm going to make the connection here. When I watched this sure. movie, it reminded me of the Toolbox Murders, the original. 
And it reminded me okay. of the Toolbox Murders because the Toolbox Murders has 30 minutes that, like, if you cut the first 30 minutes out of the film and just watch the second two thirds, it's all about grief and loss. And it's all about yes. people projecting st- what they want out of somebody onto somebody else. And how it's made them insane. Correct. And the, so in the, the yeah. Toolbox Murders, there's two people that are very important, and it's Cameron Mitchell and Wesley Yur. And they are both, mm-hmm. without giving too much away, they're mourning the loss of uh, this girl who was Cameron Mitchell's daughter and I guess her yes. his cousin and uh, it was the year's cousin. And so but they both projected two different types of personalities onto her. Like Cameron, Cameron mm-hmm. Mitchell thinks that she's so completely innocent and Wesley Year thinks that she's the exact opposite of innocence. And mm-hmm. and so when I watched this movie, it made me think about how Shelley Winters keeps she the the daughter is not there anymore and then she keeps but she had built this image of her that was probably not correct she probably yes. didn't lose her virginity at that convention she probably had lost her yeah. virginity although that's questionable because she had that diary and god knows what was in that mm-hmm. diary but there is a lot you can tell as the film progresses that shelly winters probably knew her daughter well but some of that was made up in her head of what she wanted from yes. her and so i think that's really important and there is there is a huge sort of wonderful disconnect moment where um, Frank says to Amanda, you know, well, let me talk to your daughter. And then we learn why he can't do yeah. that. Well, he also brings up really good and points so- too, because when she talks about oh, yes. what led up to her situation, he's, he, she said she couldn't talk to you. And he said, well, why couldn't she come to you? And Shelly Winters is like, shut up, shut up. Yeah. And, you know, there's and a lot so- of truth in that one sentence, you know. So we're talking about like a really That's- mixed up girl who was seen different ways by different people. And now she's not there. So we don't, we, the viewer, like in the Toolbox Murders, we have no idea what this character was really like. So we're getting a woman who has been almost driven insane <laughs> by what happened uh, and what th- she believes this man has done to what she thought her daughter was, was yeah. using using the diary and po- possibly frank did this but he may not have yeah i'm gonna say and... without being i know it's hard because i know a lot of people haven't seen this movie but he i think it's pretty clear that he didn't i mean i i, I, I feel like first of all his wife's a psychic she would know secondly mm-hmm. i feel like there's enough doubt in his dialogue that says to me he didn't I th- I think I I I just thought the way they set up that when he gets his briefcase stolen, he believes that it was an accident and that someone will call him and it will be okay. There's something about that where he's not like, um, oh my god, we got to go to the cops, we got to find right. this. He's like, no, some some of the there's something about that character beat that makes me think this man isn't doing the horrible things that she's claiming yeah. i the first time i saw this is. i questioned it but the upon these last couple of viewings i've done with it i feel like it's it's pretty clear that he got mistaken i i think so. i'm 95 percent certain that it's a mistake. but i would love to hear if anybody feels differently as well because i mean i've interpreted yeah. this movie a couple different ways so because there is a there is a photo in the end yes. on the mantelpiece that appears that um that I thought for a second was going to lead to something, but then all of a sudden the couple are out on the front steps and the big music plays and the credits start yeah. rolling. And I thought, oh, okay, all right, okay, so maybe I over yeah, read that. Yeah, I, I think I did too the first time I saw it. So, I mean, I think that's maybe that's what the director wanted. 
I'm not sure. Possibly. I'm not sure, yeah. But- yeah, I wonder if I wonder if it's meant to be like a um if it's meant to be either a moment where we look at it and go and like we said, we're not <laughs> we're not trying to spoil everything for everyone, but if you watch it, you'll know what we're talking about. There's a moment with a picture right at the end, and you see the picture, and I guess you can have like one of three interpretations maybe or i'm thinking of like you can either think oh my gosh he did do it and there's there's sort of proof or you can look at it and think uh from from what he says that oh she misinterpreted the photo correct and he didn't do it Uh, but you don't know if the director you can't quite tell if the director is saying hey like doing a Twilight Zone twist. That's what I thought it was. The moment I saw it, mm-hmm. I thought it was like a Twilight Zone twist. It's like we might talk briefly about the other revenge that came out in 1971, and that has a twist at the end of yeah, it. Yeah, I would actually like that- you to talk about that. So th- this was a yeah. remake. Well, it's not a remake. This came out the same time as a British same, movie same using the same source material, which is a novel, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a little bit. But it is called What In of the Frightened People, a.k.a. Revenge. Re- aka terror from under the house don't look up terror from under the stairs because you'll get people from under the stairs which is a fun movie but not the same but (laughs) is the wrong movie movie. and terror from uh uh, we'll call it revenge british we'll call it the british you should call it in of the frightened people or the other i'm gonna call it just to not not to confuse the two you know what i mean okay i'll call it in of the in of the frightened people um plus that's an awesome title it's a fun title yeah it doesn't quite fit the movie it's it's uh, not an in of frightened uh, people there is an in of frightened people. Yes, there is. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's not a misleading title. It's um, I don't know. In of the frightened people makes me think that it's like an in on a coastline or something. Uh, that's like um, like a, like a bus shows up. Wait, did and you just pull? Wait, 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 wait. I just want to point out. You just pulled what Shelley Winters did in that movie. You're projecting what you want that oh movie to be. I did. How can it live well, up one, to that? How can it live up to that? You know what? Here's here's what it was. I knew it as the title "In the Frightened People," and it's actually set in like a like a pub, like in a town. Oh, a pub! Like, there are houses all around it. You know, right. it's not like it's not like out in the middle of nowhere, like a oh, okay. like an inn with like sure. a, like a, like an American werewolf in London, like on a moor or yeah, something. It's a like right in the lamb, middle. Right? Yeah, it's right in the middle of a town. You know, it's and and basically the premise of "In the Frightened People," aka Revenge, is um it starts off at a funeral for a young woman who has been raped and murdered and the family is (coughs) pardon me the family is driving home and they learn that the man who was arrested for it has been released so the guys in the family who are all very early 70s very much um sort of uh macho 70s tough uh it's a hard man kind of british guys they're all kind of tough guys um they begin to follow this man and eventually they kidnap him throw him in the basement of their pub slash house and beat him to death. But they don't actually kill him. They think he's dead, but he's not dead. And he's underneath the house. And the problem is that now they've got this guy underneath the house who they learn after they've beaten him didn't actually do it. that's That's a quandary. And so what do you do now? And so there's this guy who's half alive under the house. They're trying to keep it from some of the women in the house. Now, Joan Collins is one of the Yay. women. And, she, and she's she's pretty sure she knows what's going on. <laughs> I have and, a feeling Joan Collins is pretty sure she knows what's going on all the time. All the time, yes. And so, so the movie basically becomes about this family sort of keeping the secret, keeping the secret of what's 
in the basement and it's a lot like the beast in the cellar except um not as much fun as the beast in the cellar and they're trying to keep this the secret and it's like the guys show up to deliver supplies for the inn and they have to joan collins has to run out and say don't put anything in the cellar we had a flood and da 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 you know like the guy starts to creep around down there and he like start tries to escape through a hatch in the in the bar and they have to stand on top of the hat you know it's like and it's just gets it gets crazier and crazier as it goes and the family kind of breaks apart as it's happening and there's a twist in the end which is one of those twists that is not unexpected but slightly unexpected and it's a twist unfortunately i think that i don't want to ruin it but it is it is interesting because it's the same year and it's about uh relatives capturing someone who they believe defiled a family Correct. member and locking them in the basement. And it came out the same year. The, the, the British film in the frightened people says original screenplay by some guy who had written for like the Avengers and the saints and stuff like that. Lies, um, all lies, all lies. But the revenge, the actual revenge with Shelley Winters is based on a novel written by, uh, Elizabeth Davis. Correct. I don't know Elizabeth Davis personally, but, but I believe I've seen Elizabeth Davis. <laughs> In what? I wonder. Do, do you, do you, does anyone know the Pringles from a little movie? Is it, Oh gosh, I'm blanking. It's 1967, 68. Wait, 67. Around 1967, there was a filmmaker. Are we talking about the same movie, uh, or are you picking another movie? I, I'm. I think I'm talking <laughs> okay, about the same movie. Okay, I know movie. what you're talking about. Okay. Around, around can you not remember the title of it? I can't oh, remember okay, the good, title. Okay. I had the story I was going oh, to please, tell. Oh, please. Okay, I just wasn't sure, and then I was like, <laughs> should I cut in? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so we, we may not have rehearsed this beforehand no. we like to keep it fresh pretty much every um, time you hear this podcast i'm going to say i'm totally not prepared and as you can see i'm really not i didn't make that up okay go ahead i would say i i think amanda is 65 cent percent prepared for the podcast. 65 cent I, is that my 65 percent 65 cent i'm sorry with the problem when your nose is clogged yes. is that sometimes you hit certain <laughs> uh sounds yes. and you Around 1966-67, there was a, a filmmaker who had been making films for a while who is well-known in the annals of exploitation. He made two films around the same time, and I may be sort of conflating the timeline here just because one of these films is one of my all-time favorite movies, one of the few films I've ever watched three times in the same night. Wow. And that film is Jimmy the Boy Wonder which is a film about a little kid who stops time and has to take a the pendulum from the uh, grandfather clock to the uh, clock that runs all of time. Around the same time, the man who made this movie also made another movie about a woman who ran, runs a wig shop. And her <laughs> that doesn't sound demented it. son, deme <laughs> her demented son, who gets the human hair for the wigs by grabbing co-eds using like one of those carving knives that you used to carve turkeys and electric carving knives and scalping them. And that's a film called The Gruesome Twosome. And that is a comedy made by Herschel Gordon-Lewis around 1967. Herschel Gordon-Lewis, A Blood Feast, The Gorgor Girls, and many others. But um, Mrs. Pringle, the, the old lady in the movie, is apparently the woman who wrote the novel 
that this is based according to IMDb and several other sources. I'm astounded by that, but I'd like to believe it's completely true. I have no reason not to believe it's true. Yes. So I'm going to keep keep I, the dream alive. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool because because I know I know she didn't write any Hershey Gordon Lewis movies because all the scripts for his movies are terrible. <laughs> That's why we love them. Whereas the Revenge script, which is written by Joe Stefano, we Correct. forgot to oh, mention. Oh, I have that, that in my notes here. Yeah, Joe Stefano wrote the script. Is really very good. the The psychic portion actually does overwhelm the. Um, it does the the in the cage portion. I think it still works. I will. I would argue, not actually argue, but I would say that they <laughs> That's they probably. I don't know. I guess when they adapted it. And I haven't read the source material, although I would very much like to. I think that they probably suggested that the psychic part was a little less brutal and dark than having Shelley Winters talk to Bradford Dillman. Not that there's anything necessarily brutal in the movie that we see. There's a moment, though, that's pretty intense. But, like, I feel like they thought as a made-for-television movie that had to appeal to a mass audience – that they might want to concentrate more on the psychic aspect of it. And also ESP and all that stuff was huge back then. Sure. And so that was probably their hook anyway. And so I wonder, yeah. So, I mean, I haven't read the source material, but I I wonder if we read the source material, if it's maybe more balanced or even less about the psychic portion of it and more about the dialogue between uh, Winters and Dillman. But but that they have, it's kind of like Bad Ronald. Um, that's how I'm thinking of it. I'm thinking that they're thinking, well, this is kind of dark, and we want to make sure that that it appeals to everybody and that they enjoy it. So let's concentrate on this really hip aspect of the book that's that everybody's really interested right now, which is you know psychic phenomenon, and let's expand on that and and use the housewife, you know, as the protagonist, and um, and let's make it about her. You know, and that's all a guess on my part, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was some of the politics behind it. I mentioned earlier the um, the ninety minute long take when uh, <laughs> Frank comes home. It's ninety minutes. And that's longer than most TV movies. Ninety minute. I'm sorry. Ninety second. Ninety second. <laughs> the ninety second. I think the pills have folks. kicked in, guys. I think uh, I think the allergy medicine has hit me pretty good. Uh, the ninety second long take um, because it starts off on a. Uh, pointing at a coffee table with a kid playing with toys and then dad comes home frank comes home and uh frank hugs his son and sends his son to bed and then he starts to talk to a uh, diane and the camera just sits there like some distance away from them for about a minute almost to the point where you think okay are we not supposed to care about these characters why are we not any closer to them we're we're because we are it's very far away we're no we we can't you can't really see you can see faces but it's not i mean it's it's a distant you're like on the other side of the set but then when the phone rings and shelly winters is on the other end the camera i actually forget if it zooms in or tracks in it does it does one of the two obviously a little bit so you see him a little closer as he talks on the phone and then as he sets down the phone he goes around a wall to his wife to give her a kiss and it zooms in a little bit more and then that has that's that moment where you get like the music is a little weird and she has a weird look on her face and you think 
oh, yeah, she's an annoyed housewife and her husband's been home for whatever. But you realize the second time that, no, 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 something psychic is happening right right there. She's actually – it's actually very cleverly kept us in the back, pulled us into the – and it's sort of like pulled us into the first plot. And then the second zoom pulls us into the second plot. It's interesting. And it's actually oh, really, really, it's really nicely done. Because at first it looks just like, the first time I watched it, it just looked like um, we have to, we have to shoot this in five minutes. Right. Let's, let's do this real quick right now. But watching it the second time, I was like, no, no, those, the, the track, I, I don't, the, the zoom ins or whatever they are, they come at right, right at the moments to accentuate here is Frank's story. Here's Diane's story. And it's it's really nicely done. Well done, Judd Taylor. Yay, Judd Taylor. We Good love Judd. you. We love you, Judd Taylor. Director of yes. the film, by the way. That's a and really a interesting one- way to look at that. I didn't think I, I don't think I noticed that. I noticed it was because the first time I watched it, after that scene, I didn't think the wife was going to appear again. Oh. Just because she was so distant sure. the whole time. But then when she became like a main character, I thought, wow, I didn't expect this. But then when I watched it the second time, I thought, oh, no, he's actually showing it to you right there. But then I thought, if this were November of 1971, would I have caught that? Probably uh, not, maybe not. But... Probably not. But maybe. I don't know. Because I would like to think that if I were watching this then, <laughs> I would have been much more focused than I would be now. I try to – you know, you try to focus, but – Things are very different when you watch them now. Well, it would be really interesting because you bring up a kind of an interesting point in that, and I'm not questioning point. I'm just trying to think if that's the right word. But uh, we probably watch things a little differently when we knew that we didn't have a DVR that could rewind it for yes, us. That's and that there and yes. that we couldn't just go onto Hulu and watch it in reruns. You know what I mean? That that that's one of the and forgive me. This is this is <laughs> this is a side tangent. For just a moment, but one of my favorite TV shows, Doctor Who, many of the episodes from the 1960s are lost. Over 90 episodes are lost from the 60s. And many of the sort of memories that we have are from people who watched them back then. And they've actually sort of done polls where if you knew that you would never see anything again... If you just naturally knew it, you know, if, if like, it, yeah, if you sat down to watch Revenge and there were no VCRs, there were no DVRs, you knew you were watching this for the one and only time, you absorbed it better than if you were watching something thinking, okay, I can watch this in a week on my DVR sure. or this will be out on Blu-ray in a week or something like that. So people, the the memories, I think, are stronger when you know that you can never watch right, it again. Right, that's really interesting. So I, th- I think, I would love to think that people watch that scene, and unlike me, where all I thought was, she's got a bad haircut and we're not going <laughs> to see her again. Everyone in 1971 thought, oh, wow, okay, something important happened right there. And I didn't catch it until the second viewing. Well, you know, I don't know... Also, we could question like how savvy people were with watching films, not to say that they didn't know what they were watching, but to say that now there's a proliferation of information about films and how they get made and how things are shot and blah, 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 everywhere. But in the 70s, it 
you know, you bought your film magazines and things, but it wasn't as like at your fingertips. I don't know that I necessarily looked at camera shots and tried to read them any kind of way until I was much older. You know, I, I'd, I'd like to think that folks back then just sort of instinctively knew what they were looking at just because. Well, I think they knew what they were I, looking I, at, but I don't know if they understood. Like, I, like I, you know, those shots that are from a, a overhead and how it's like a God cam is what I call it. And it's meant to be sure. Like, I don't know that I necessarily checked out all the metaphors, you know, of the camera work in films. And I still don't do it as much as I should. But um, especially in a TV movie, you know, I just don't know that that was necessarily happening. But I do think that people probably absorbed it differently and the focus was probably stronger. And I agree with you about the memories. But I don't know that like just based on my own personal experience in my household, that wasn't like a thing, you know, where people were like, look at that camera shot. You know, it was like, hey, Bradford Dillman. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was so much as look at that camera shot as just um, that they are in, inside I, themselves I would think, con- subconsciously picked it up. <laughs> I think, I think it was, I think it was you, you watch so much of it that you know if you like, yeah, uh, I because I with that shot when I watched it the second time I thought, okay, I, th- I, I believe that if I had seen this back then I wouldn't have gone, oh, this is one long take, oh, there's an important zoom. Oh, there's another important zoom. I would have just been sitting there watching, going, "Okay, this is happening. This is happening. Oh, okay, someone has a suitcase, and it's this creepy person we saw walking around." But then that's, but then that's immediately followed by a second, th- and it would have been like, "Oh, we're we're coming in on the wife, huh? I wonder why." I, I don't think I would have thought of it in a, a filmic language. I see what you're saying. I, I think still I, don't. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it is clever yeah, foreshadowing, think- but I don't know that it's. It, that everybody would pick up on it. I just think that you have a specific eye and you have to remember you do have a film background. So that's going to influence the way you think about things anyway. I should have asked, I should have asked my grandma. I you should have. Grandma. That's where you failed us. That's where I only oh, have one man. thing to say to you right now. Mr. Hazelrick. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to get. Oh, and he did. And he didn't actually have his polka dot hat on. He was like, he reached for it and put it oh, on. Cause like, you know, Hazelrick Hazel likes the hat. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to this movie. Oh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm I'm still thinking of I'm still thinking of that shot because it's such a deliberate shot. Oh, it is. Yes. That I, I well, I mean, I don't remember I really, it, but I, I mean, I agree with you that it's a deliberate shot. Because the because the camera sits in, and I'll stop talking. I'm sorry. This has got to be boring for folks, but it's like the camera does sit in one spot for like almost a minute, and then it zooms in once, and you're like, okay, this is a bad thing. But then it zooms in again as this weird music plays and she gets a strange look on her face. So I, I'd love to think that folks of that time who didn't have a filmic knowledge or anything would have th- would have set, thought to themselves, oh, something happened there too. Well, you did bring up uh, – that, that second- I mean that's really interesting. But also I think you brought up a, a really interesting point and I think we've talked about it before in different ways. But that the experience of TV movies was so different back yes. then. There was no way to. I mean, when when I watch stuff on TV now, I always, I I record it and I start watching fifteen minutes after right. it began, so I can skip all commercials. I don't do that. You know, so so I oh you, you I let the commercials commercial. play. You know, because I know commercials pay for my soap operas, and that's all I watch. And so I let them know I'm watching their their commercials. 
I get I get depressed by the commercials. I, I really tune them out because they're always they're always either telling me that I you know I need some I need some sort of pill sure. or I need a, I need a job. Well, they prey on they prey on your insecurities for sure. I yes, will tell you yes. those are consumer consumer cellular ads are top notch. <laughs> I will. I'm I, not I, kidding. I, I'm I, not I, kidding. Jack and Connie, who are the characters that do the consumer I, cellular ads, ha- have like a cult following, and I see why they're amazing. I uh, I still Young and the Restless is still on my DVDR. Gotta get so rolling. It's, uh, it records every. But yeah, so I, I, need to, I need to get. To I it. don't have a problem with commercials. My husband does. He hates them. But for me, they just play, and it's my moment to go get a piece of chocolate or, you know what I mean, play with the cat or something. But I let <laughs> it run. I I think I um. From around eighty three on, we had a VCR, so I used to begin to record everything. So I'm used to since I was like eleven years old. I'm I tape over commercials if I can. So yeah, I used to cut or, them or out. Fast-forward. I used to cut them out of recordings. I guess I still would if I was taping stuff off TV, you know, to keep. Uh-huh. But just as a general thing, I just let things run. And I try to watch them live. That's not always possible. It's very impossible right now. But I do my best. And if not, then I just like let the commercials. That's my little break time. Yeah. It's my me time. It's my me time. (laughs) It is. My husband's always like, because the ads they show on soaps are really horrible. And they're like, hey, I have one leg. Please give me money at the Wounded Warrior Project. Yeah. And it just breaks your heart. But like, I just, and then they have so many animal abuse ads. And they're like, we're the Humane Society. Look what we tried to prevent. And then they show you like three legged animals. And like, and so it's no sign everybody's missing a leg. And so um, I do, I kind of just tune them out, but I do let them run. It's weird though. I I do love when I get episodes like say an episode of Battle of oh, sure. Stars. I know what you're gonna say in the original ads. What when it when it has the original commercials? Yeah, we love those. I watch those. I watch those when I when I get one. I have, I think from the original nineteen, I have maybe four of them that are from the original airing, and so I have the actual full two hour time slot Ooh, with the commercials. I keep hitting the. It's, my microphone thing, so I apologize. Your new mic? I know, it's not the mic, but the little pop filter I put in front of it. I, it's really awkward the way I have it set up, and I keep. So if you keep I'm, hearing I'm noises, I'm sorry. Oh, I hit it again. I'm imagining Amanda moving her hands around a lot and constantly, like in Kentucky Fried Movie. Remember that scene in Kentucky Fried Movie where the two guys are talking and the boom mic lowers <laughs> in between them and starts hitting them in the head? No. That's what I'm imagining. Well, is happening that's kind of what it right feels now. like. Keep, boom. I'm not going to bump my mic because I'll knock it out and take myself off but um so that was um, a lot of nothing but revenge revenge <laughs> no i <laughs> no i think um i will say there are a lot of great um uh sort of psychic e moments yes. in revenge where um where diane is is sort of gaining her psychic powers and she there's a moment involving pills that she takes that um i didn't ca- even catch the first time I saw it. I won't. I won't ruin it for you if you, uh, yeah, haven't seen it. Obviously, I mean the thing with the this is like it's like it's like Home for the Holidays, Joe Stefano, which we covered a couple yes. of podcasts ago. Joe Stefano, where they there's just there's a little bit extra. You know, it's like the the kind of thing you don't find in a screenplay nowadays. There's just little extra moments woven in that just make it a little little bit richer. Stuart Whitman's character is so. He's he's an interesting. Is he is he a fraud? Isn't he a fraud? What's going on? And it's just it's uh Shelley Winters is fantastic, and it's it's a, it's a, I had never seen it's, it it's before researching for this. Yeah, but it's it's definitely a keeper. I mean, yeah, Shelley Winters is is just awesome in it, and it's just like she's she's got this even when she's at her most um, nasty. 
it it's still heartbreaking because she has gone through what she's gone yeah. through with it's her daughter. It's an interesting performance for sure. And it's definitely yes. like the whole movie is all about gray areas, isn't it? It's about like yes. people aren't what they say they are. People are dealing with things that have made them do things that they shouldn't have done. And so it's it's all about like this sort of gray area that people live in. And that's probably, I don't even know if that's necessarily, I mean, I'm sure it's intentional in Shelley Winter's part, but I don't know if that's meant to be like a theme, but it stands out to me when I watch it. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting. It's such a simple movie too. It's, it's, it's a simple movie that the more you focus on it becomes extremely complex Yeah, and it's, it, it's relationship between his characters. You know what? So, so much so. Wait, oh, it's what? deceptive I, I like in the way what... that like Steve Martin's super good looking. Like you look at Steve Martin and you go, Oh yeah, it's yes. Steve Martin. And then you look at him and you're like, Whoa. That's what this movie's like. It's exactly what this movie is like. It's like Steve Martin. I won't argue. Yeah. It's like Steve Martin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, am I the only exactly. one that because has that so moment funny. where you're like, oh, look, Steve Martin, he's funny. And then you're like, whoa, he's super well, hot. No, I mean, I, mean I, th- I think for me with Steve Ma- Martin, Ma- Martin, Steve, that's my nose. Sorry, folks. Steve that's, Martin, I'm, I'm, Mr. Hazelrig. Steve Martin. With Steve Martin, I think it's like those moments, yeah, where you see like him and his. I think like uh, with Roxanne, I think is probably one of the movies where like I look at Steve Martin and go, yeah. <laughs> oh, That's... yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, you know, he wrote it and he's deliberately given himself the huge nose, right. but he's deliberately made himself so cool. Right. You know, it's like, oh. You know, that's, yeah, that's, agreed. Okay, agreed. agreed. This movie is like Steve Martin. And if anybody wants to quote me on that on a newspaper ad or on a DVD, <laughs> I really feel like you, you have every right to do that. You have my permission. Uh, just real quick, go into s- some uh, context sure. for the revenge real quick. Because I was looking, I've got Meryl out here. Okay. Meryl. Hey, we should tell people when and... you say Meryl, we should probably, because they might not have listened. Oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, Alvin H. Merrill, movies made for television. Here's the thing. This this is sort of my my Bible, and I think it's Amanda's Definitely. Bible, sort of, for the movies. See, I have the first edition, which is 64 to 79, which is a beautifully designed yes. book. And I love the layout of the films and, and everything. I won't go in-depth in, now. We can do that some other time, but it's beautiful. I also have the uh, 64 to 86 edition, which isn't laid out as beautifully, but has many more films there's also a big edition which do you have i have the five volume edition and i have the holy shlomoly and i have the 64 too because it might only goes to 84 i think i think i have a different edition than you they might have done an 84 and 86 because i feel like mine doesn't go as or maybe 82 just hard yes it's hardcover all my versions are hardcover and then i have the first one which is 64 to 79 which i agree is the most beautiful of all the books because it has the five volume set has no photos so Okay. It's just a listing of, and they don't even have that fun indexing system where they do it by air date. It's alphabetical by title, uh, and okay. it's it's really easy to use and it's a great resource. But I prefer the first one because I like to look at the, the photos. The first one has beautiful photos, and the first one does something that I I'm writing a book right now on action films from the 1980s, and I wanted to do lay lay my book out <coughs> like the way this edition is, but I think it's impossible now. Just because it's the way he lays the book out is it's by year, yes, but it's by broadcast. Yeah, it's date. by air date within so the year. So nothing, 
nothing's alphabetical. It's all by broadcast date, and each movie is numbered. So what you do is, if you want revenge, you go to the index. You look up the index. 165. You flip to 165, which is on page. I don't even know. There's so many photos. I can't find the freaking page number (laughs) it's on. But you go to 165. There it is. To the to the right, there is a full page picture of um, uh, Stuart Whitman and Shelley Winters, and to the left of the writing is a is a great picture of. Um, well, I, I'll tell you who these pictures are from in a moment because I was going to give some context. Yes, it's sixty four to eighty six. Elvin H. Merrill. It's a it's a paperback. It's a big oh, thick. I've never paperback. seen the paperbacks. It's it's really nice. I've I've I I take it on the bus a lot and I read it. It's it's huge. It it has it is um, huge. it it's one thousand to oh two thousand two thousand sixty nine films. Oh gosh, Zuma Beach with Suzanne yeah, Summers. Yeah, that's the last the one. Last list. Oh, last but, one. Last, um, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, so I'm I'm looking in the first volume of Merrill right now, and I got this for like six or seven bucks on Amazon hardcover. It's beautiful, and and someone put plastic around the dust cover, so it's like you're back oh, in school. That's what I have. I think it came like that. Yeah. So someone put a really nice there. Oh, okay. Revenge aired on the sixth of November. I just wanted to say, on the fifth of November, there were two TV movies that aired. One, and I haven't seen this one, is called Black Noon. Oh, I know Black Noon with Roy Thinnes. It's a it's starring a horror Roy Thinnes. It's a horror western. And a, and a, she, I was I was just about to say it's a horror western. <laughs> it's a, I'll I'll read the little Merrill write up. An occult western about a circuit riding minister and his wife who are caught up in a web of witchcraft involving a mute beauty and a satanical gunfighter. I don't know if satanical is a word, but I love <laughs> yeah. it. It's a it's a and it's also, a it's an average film. I need to see it again, but I'm not a huge fan of it. The other film that aired that same day starred two people that we really like who um uh were on two TV shows together, one in the 60s, one at the end of the 70s, one at the end of the 80s, very briefly. These two characters they're named Liza and Eddie Crocker. And it's Barbara Eden, Larry Hagman. Oh, Howling in the Woods. A Howling yeah. in the Woods. So, so Revenge aired the the day before Revenge. Those other two films that was a aired. Good week. So that's that's sort of what we're in the middle of here. When we're that's sort of like this is pretty. Um, this is a pretty exciting. Yeah. Time. Well, the movie of the week really brought in horror because if you look at so the horror, the ABC movie of the week started in '69. Their first movie wasn't a horror movie. It was Seven in Darkness. But they, if you look to anything before that, it, there are horror movies, but they're they're not really horror. There's thrillers, and they didn't really. That wasn't like a thing. And they kind of experimented. There was Fear No Evil, right, with uh, Louis Jordan. Th- oh yes, that was I fun. think that yeah, was the name of it. Of There's two yeah. of those. I think the first one is Fear No Evil, and then there was also Daughter of the Mind, which is half ghost story, half like espionage thriller. And you could tell. I, now I highly recommend Daughter of the Mind. It's a beautiful movie. It's so well done. I think the espionage portion doesn't work as well, but it's definitely worth seeing for Ray Milland. And I think it was Gene Tierney's first film TV movie. But you could see that they were sampling horror but they weren't really sure how far to go with it. And then the ABC mm-hmm. movie that we came out and I don't know where, what the first ABC horror movie was. I'd have to look that up, but 
they really, I think they really ushered in that as a viable genre uh, for the small screen. It turned out to be really popular because I think the Night Stalker is still one of the highest rated TV movies of all time. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so yeah. it was like they they tapped into something that people were kind of interested in pursuing, but weren't sure if the audience was there. And uh, and then it was, and they and so by seventy one, so if that started in sixty nine, I would say by seventy one they probably had sampled it, and were like really steamrolling through like the scary movies. I'm I'm looking at a, at a list here of the primetime schedule for seventy one seventy two. Mm-hmm. Because I, I know the the ABC movie of the week here is listed as Tuesday, eight thirty to ten, which was on uh, opposite Hawaii Five O and uh, the first half hour of Canon. Okay, not this I particular think. movie though. Not this yeah. particular movie because this movie was on a Saturday. Yeah, this was. I'm sorry, this is the ABC movie of the weekend. That was also that's when movie of the weekend Jewel yes. aired on the ABC movie of the weekend as well. And which would have meant that it aired, and this was very interesting. I didn't realize this that it aired against sort of the back three after All in the Family because All in the Family was on at eight. Yeah, not was not on this one. Not show. on this run. Yeah, and and so movie of the weekend began at eight thirty. Right. Uh, to eight thirty to ten, which means it ran up against Funny Face. You're taking my programming Sandy part. Oh my gosh! This is your program. You totally part. did that. You told, I can't believe it. I wrote this all down and you stole it. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> are you going to mention that? Are you going to mention the Ken Berry Wow show? No, that wasn't on that night. Oh, well, it was on a little later, but I just wanted to bring oh, okay. it up. No, you do the program. No, no, I'm no, sorry. You... I I saw it. I thought it was interesting. I because I thought it was on Tuesday night. I was like, okay, this is like Night Stalker. But then when I looked up what what day was november 6 1971 it was a saturday i felt like i wrote that in my so, notes but now i'm looking here and i don't see it but i think when i originally looked up revenge it came up as the abc movie of the weekend well if you want please please well now that you stole my thunder you know i go, no no i i, I, stole, I stole hours the and of the hours phone. of newspaper clippings to find what it aired against. I actually do, especially with the older movies, it's really hard to find because there are, there are schedules, but the schedules aren't uh-huh. always concurrent with that exact date. Like mm. things may have run the, at that season, but they don't always run that night. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes well, there are other specials. Like yeah. for instance, on NBC, they ran a theatrical film called Gigi. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah, and they also ran partners, something called the partners and also something called the good life, which starred Larry Hagman and Donna Mills pre Dallas and Knox landing. Nice. Yes. And then on CBS, they ran funny face, like you said, but dragnet had star, I guess dragnet was halfway into it. And then funny face was a precursor to the Mary Tyler Moore show featuring Sandy Duncan. And then they also aired the new Dick Van Dyke show, Yeah, which you already knew that. I, I, I don't. I don't mean to break hearts during the um, the podcast. I've been doing this I, for months. I, <laughs> well, this this was. I was. I got excited when I saw this because I thought, oh my gosh! Because I, I know Funny Face was the show where Sandy Duncan got the um, had her eye problems. She's always it. had eye problems, hasn't she? She well, she, this was the one that they. Is that why they called her Funny really Face? Pop- no. <laughs> No, okay. the, I believe they named the show before she had. They, the they, they wanted to call her Funny Eyes, but it didn't. <laughs> funny Eyes, hey, wacky eyes. They they gave her like a sitcom for thirteen episodes, and they did like twelve of them when she developed a pain behind her eye, yeah. 
and she had to go into uh, the hospital. Her eye, apparently, from what I've read, wasn't removed. It's but blind, the, isn't the it? Tumor, the tumor made her blind. Yeah, in, I think the glass eye thing just morphed out of that because we didn't have the internet. I think so, too, yeah, because that was this was also the same season when Columbo began. And Peter Falk did have a glass eye. He did, but you know, and I don't want to, we're getting really off topic here, but like, for instance, Sandy Duncan, when she went on to do the Hogan family, her, sure, her yeah, eyes yeah. looked very natural. Whereas Peter yes. Falk always, you could tell something was different. So it was off yeah, with his so, eye. And so that the was glass the eye thing is like pretty ludicrous. I, I think the thing with Columbo is though, is that you always felt like that eye that was a little wonky. That was all part of the thing. Well, that was all part I of the I couldn't tell which eye. <laughs> was glass oh, like i didn't yeah. know one i was <laughs> like you know what i mean and i i normally don't even see it like it's not even something i think yeah. about really <laughs> yeah you know it just kind of was and then if i think about it enough then i'm trying to figure out which eye it is and of course it's the eye that's not moving but yeah. but he's so animated it's kind of hard to tell uh yeah i'm sorry to steal your thunder on the the program yeah, whatever. there i oh my gosh oh whatever. my gosh um i didn't know about the good life and all that and did you know that during the winter is when The Sixth Sense was on, the Gary Collins no, show? No, I have every episode of The Sixth Sense, but I haven't really explored it as much as I should. I, w- I, would, l- I would like to watch those. And then in the summer, it was replaced with the Ken Berry Wow Show. <laughs> I love Ken Berry. <laughs> so do I. I don't know what the Ken Berry Wow Show is. It was probably a variety show. I mean, like the Burt Convy it's, Variety Hour or whatever. Like, was there yes, a Yes, there was. Convy I've variety? never seen it, but he did have a what? He had a short-lived – I feel like it was a summer thing – he had a very short lived. I have an ad for it, but the problem is, is that I have these uh, bound TV guides. So what they are is TV stations used to. We're getting so off topic, and we need to wrap this up. But TV guides, yeah, oh yeah. TV guides. <laughs> when they used to send them to the TV stations, what they would do is that yeah. they would make quarterly, um, or I guess bi yearly. I'm not sure how you say that. Um, it's quarterly uh, bound volumes of the TV guide. So they would take all the TV guides and then they would put them in a book form. And you can buy them okay. online, but they're really wow. expensive. But my husband got me four of them. And oh, wow. the problem is, is that they're so thick that you can't really open them and scan photos properly. Okay. But I, there is a Burt Convy advertisement in one of them, and I have tried to scan it as best wow. as I could. And I have it somewhere on my computer. I'll try what, to share that. From? It's from the Burt Convy Variety Show. It's from 76 or oh, something. I'm not sure what the year is yet. Wow. Sometime in the 70s. Huh. And I, wow. I know I've read interviews with him when he did the show and I've seen a couple of stills from it because of the TV guide ad and what little advertisement it had, but I've sure. never seen the show. Wow. And I would obviously, wow. you know, I've laid down a yeah, train wow. track to see that thing. <laughs> I would. <laughs> that would, oh, so would I, that would be fantastic. I'd, I'd do the same as see the Ken Berry Wild yeah, show. I'm sure that's the same thing. I mean, well, Ken Berry wa- was a dancer, you know, he's a professional dancer. Yeah, and, um, and Wow was Wow was in quotes, so that yeah. So I'm pretty sure special. that uh, would just by the title, I'm going to guess that it was a variety show. Variety show, definitely. Yeah, yeah. ten to eleven on Saturday night. Oh boy, that's not a great time. No, though. none of those variety shows. I mean, well, I'm sure some yeah. of them, but a lot of them came and went, and they were just meant to be replacements for a short period. Of time. Yeah, yeah. It was like Carol Burnett was the only one that yeah. was there for. Well, I mean, Sunny and Cher, of... and like there was others, but yeah. yeah um. Yeah. But some of them literally just came like, hey, let's do a summer replacement. Like, wasn't the Richard Pryor show supposed to be a summer replacement? Like, just so they wouldn't have reruns? So sometimes that's what happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what they used to do with old time radio, which is really getting off topic back in the in the forties and such. They used to have summer shows that would come on, you know, to fill in the sure. gap when Fibber and Molly were away for seven weeks, sure. you know, so, and stuff like that. That's also context. But uh, re- yeah, I guess so. Yeah, this is all context, folks. So this is because Revenge is awesome, and we enjoyed Revenge. Yes, it's very good. And also, uh, I just want to mention that Judd Taylor was the president of the DGA from eighty one to eighty three. And he was also an actor who did a lot of guest spots on episodic television, which I didn't know. I, oh, yes. I only yeah. knew him as a director, so it was pretty interesting. In 1981, he chaired the DGA's negotiating committee, which the DGA said resulted in a contract that provided improved economic and creative rights, as well as affirmative action provisions for women and ethnic minorities. So that's pretty interesting to read because, you know, right now the Guild is in the middle of a scandal. I, I don't know if it's a scandal, but they're getting a lot of flack because I think – a lot of female filmmakers and other women who like female filmmakers feel that the guild isn't pushing hard enough to get women to run productions. And there was some scandal recently. I feel like they're getting sued or something and you'd have to Google that. I can't, I just read something in the last month or so and now I can't remember all of the details. So I think it's interesting that it's been an ongoing thing with the guild to get more minorities in lead roles. Uh And I think that some people have actually been super proactive about it, but a lot of people feel like this particular era of the guild has not been as proactive as it should be. And it sort of makes sense Uh because right. Catherine Hardwick made twilight and wasn't that like a gazillion dollar making movie. And then they made a sequel brought everybody back, but her as if she had nothing to do with making the movie. Right. So, I mean, I feel like, and I'm not, I'm not saying men don't deal with that themselves. Lots of like, men get hired to do big movies and then they go to a different director for the second film because they want the name or whatever. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I'm just saying that I think women are struggling. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to point that out, that Judd Taylor was working on that back in the day, and that's why I like Thank him. You, and he was also um, a really prolific small screen director, so I wanted to briefly mention two movies on his filmography that I really like. Uh, one is called Winter Kill with Andy Griffiths. It's available yes. to Warner Archive. It's extremely atmospheric. It's really creepy. It's it's yeah. probably legitimately scary in some scenes. I think the killer is really yes. terrifying. Um, it's a real straight laced or straight faced uh, horror film, well thriller uh, bordering on horror. Um, and it's also about Lawrence Pressman. I think is in it. But don't quote me on that. But I really like Lawrence Pressman. And he also did um, a true crime movie in the eighties with Martin Sheen called Out of the Darkness, which is about the Son of Sam. It's a miniseries, and it's excellent. And if anybody ever gets a chance to see it, I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite miniseries. I, it's, it's about the account of the cop that caught Son of Sam. It's less about Son of Sam, and it's a really harrowing. He had kind of a tough time in his personal life when he was pursuing uh, the killer. And uh, it's a really amazing retelling of that time in New York. Um, mm-hmm. Jed Taylor also directed Bradford Dillman in Disappearance of Flight 402, which is another TV movie that would come out a few years later. And um, in 1971, speaking of context, Winters also made Who Slew Auntie Rue and What's the Matter with Helen, which I believe were both directed by Curtis Harrington and are quite good. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. This was another score I liked. It is by Dominic Frontier, I think is how you say it. And he also did the soundtrack to Kingdom of the Spiders, and he also wrote the theme to Vegas, the Robert York Vegas. Nice. Yes. And that's why we love him. And the woman who plays the wife in this, Diane Clanner, is Carol Eve Rosen. And she is the daughter of Robert Rosen, who wrote and directed The Hustler. 
And oh wow! And she was married to Hal Holbrook before he met Dixie Carter. Wow! Yeah. Well, is she David's Holbrook's? Uh, no, she. Mother? I think I read that she was the stepmother of. Da- I don't know who David. I don't know who's going to take credit for David Holbrook. All right. <laughs> From Girls yes, Night I Out. Love yeah. Him. I love. Yeah. I, if you're listening, huh. David, I love you. But Girls Night Out. It's a performance of a lifetime. Yes. And there's a really we neat like. There's a really neat like is. Hal Holbrook in that movie because his son's in it? Or did his yes, son that, get the yeah, part because Hal Holbrook yeah. asked the filmmakers to put his son in it? That's what I want to know. Yeah. This is this Will is my answer be... to that question. Mr. Hazelrig. <laughs> I'm sorry, I oh, can't stop listening to that. Mr. Hazelrig. Oh. Wait, is there anything you wanted to say about Revenge? Oh, Revenge, Revenge, Revenge. Um, I think you've covered all of it. We got the context. We got the things. Yeah, I think we've covered it. I think yeah, and you so you're yeah. you're a con- convert. You liked it. I did. I did. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I I do find the uh, it interesting that as it goes along, it does become more a sort of a psychic thing than a man locked in a cage thing. That's, but I that's part of the that's part of the fun of these sorts of movies is you sometimes you just don't know what the heck is going to yeah, happen. Yeah, it's so. it's a pretty cool little movie, and um, I'm yeah. a fan. I hadn't seen it in a while. I saw it maybe like eight years ago. And um, this is uh, the first time since then. And I watched it a couple times this week. And I, I just, I get so drawn into it. I love, yeah. I love the stories that are happening. And I love the dynamic between Bradford Dillman and Shelley Winters and the dynamic yeah. between uh, Stuart Whitman and Carol E. Rosen. They're, it's just really lovely. So it's interesting too, because there are two, Diane and Frank are married, but they're separated. And then they each involve, get involved with somebody of the opposite gender. Yes. It's kind of interesting, and we could probably have read something into that, but I, I, my brain can't wrap around that right at this moment. <laughs> oh, also, it's a lot. I wanted thought, to mention, yeah. and hold on, now I have to flip through pages again, so excuse the noise. Um, the name of the book that this was adapted from was "There Was an Old Woman" by Elizabeth okay. Davis. If anybody wants to pick it up, I'm going to try to read it at some point. Okay, so if we're done with that, then I will go on to feedback. Yeah. And I think these all came after our last podcast. I got really like kind of really bad about tracking them properly so if i've read this already please forgive me but the first one comes from somebody named brian finley and brian writes hi just thought i would send an email to say i'm really enjoying your show i never realized just how much i used to enjoy old 70s and 80s tv movies until i until i started listening i think british tv bought a bunch of these movies for a low price and would show them every time they had a gap in the schedule the ones that stick out in my memory are The Savage Bees, which I think was better than The Swarm, The Stepford Kids, I think that's Stepford Children, and The Brotherhood of Justice, which you count feature-length pilots to shows that were never made as – I'm sorry, I read that sentence a little wrong. Would you count feature-length pilots to shows that were never made as TV movies? I look forward to more episodes. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Brian. I really appreciate thank you, you Brian. taking the time to write that. And I did write him back, and I did say yes. I do consider I do consider even pilot movies that did get picked up to series to be TV movies if they're feature lengths. Yeah. I will yeah. I, like Riptide, for instance. I did a review of their pilot movie. I've done others too. BJ and the Bear. Oh, is that a pilot movie? I think you said that. Yeah. That there was a two-hour pilot movie. It aired, it aired in like October, and the show came out in February. Yeah. The so, next year. Uh, so yeah, I definitely count those. I just I think it's the feature length that qualifies it for me i think there are probably yeah. i mean if you're going to write a book like i think merrill's book has to leave out pilots that got picked up to series i don't think that they do that because it would just be so yes. many he has a rule i think like in, yes. the, in one of the books something like if if the first 
episode, if it whether it be a movie or whatever, airs within like five days of or eight to ten days of the second episode, then he doesn't include oh, it. But if there's like two week, it's I'll I'll get it for the next one. I'm okay. sorry. He actually has it like in the instructions. It's like if the first episode. Second episode airs within ten days of the first episode. Then I yeah, don't. Include he has it. a lot of he has but a lot of rules. Um, that's part of the yeah, fun of Meryl. Not that, no, I I agree. I'm not like saying they're bad. Just Mrs. Merrill loved him. <laughs> she for did, it. Uh, but I mean, like I think he had to because it was such an enormous task. And I think he passed away in 2010. And but he left. He stopped in 2004. And even by then, he was doing cable movies, and so it was oh. an enormous task. To cover all those, so you have to have some kind of guidelines. I would, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would love to see a picture of the full volume set, the the big volume. Yeah, set well, that you if have. I ever get a smartphone with a camera in it, I'll take you up on. That. I have a dumb phone with a camera. I have in a it. camera, but I can't. It won't let me send images, and I don't have a card thing to pull it off. Oh, so you know okay. what I mean. So I actually have like eight images yeah. in my in my phone, and but they're images of my cat. For me. <laughs> Just for me, so awesome. I can look at them when I want to look at my cats, and but I can't send them to anybody. I'm thank you. I'm sorry, the gentleman Brian. you sent Bill Brian. Brian. I'm sorry, Brian. Thank you, yeah, Brian. So really nice. That's awesome. I also think it's really interesting that British people uh, have been contacting us because they have a different. Yeah. They saw it in a different context, and um, some of them haven't really been introduced to that many TV movies, as Chris from The Strange and Deadly yeah. Show said. So it's pretty interesting that they're interested in this topic, and I'm. Appreciate it. Yeah, it it is funny that I thought like like when we took on made for TV movies, it didn't occur to me that it might be a very specific country, right. a specific sort of thing. I, I didn't that didn't that that wasn't something that occurred yeah. to me. But that's interesting that there are other countries that join in. Well, we know he got which, the Savage Bees, the Stepford Children, and the Brotherhood of Justice. Nice. Oh, Savage Bees is a yeah, good it's time. pretty good. Is that the one with Gloria Swanson? I, I believe a, so. I get I all the B movies so. mixed up. So, yeah, that's the thing. At the end of the day, all I know is Michael Caine is in the swarm. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Is it Fred Astaire? I think oh. is also in it, and Fred McMurray. Yes, Fred I McMurray think. is in it. I remember him in that yes. for sure. Yeah. So, but that's all I remember. That so we also heard from Caffeinated Joe. Yeah, hey, hey, I didn't Joe. write down any of his stuff again. So you just go on his uh, Twitter. It's just Caffeinated Joe, and you'll find him. He's a really cool guy. So he left uh, some comments on the website. And he wrote, we'll love rewatching Dark Knight of the Scarecrow again. Awesome film. And we'll have to check out uh, Revenge. Sounds interesting. So I hope when he gets through this podcast, he's he's either seen it or is interested enough to check it out still. Um, and then he left another message, which is feedback for uh, the Christmas episode we did, the second one with Bernard and the Genie. So oh. he wrote, love the second part of the Christmas podcast. I have never seen Bernard Nagini, but I really want to now after hearing you guys rave about it. Thanks for the great entertainment and happy 2016 to all. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, the thank you, Joe. I was, I was, I, I've told Amanda not to, not to toot my own horn or sound like an incredible egoist, but um, I thought our Christmas episodes are very entertaining. They're fun. And uh, and uh, yeah, and Bernard and the Genie is fantastic. It really is. I mean, it's. Look at look at the look at the cast. Look at the look at the writer on that. I mean, how sure. can it not be? Yeah, something. And S- Savage Bees. I found it. Meryl. I'm sorry. I was I was hopping back because I wanted to look just to see who was in it. So forgive me, Joe. For but join me, Joe, on the trip to Savage Bees. It's Ben Johnson, Michael Parks, uh, Paul Hecht, 
and as Jenny Devereaux, Gretchen Corbett. Oh. James Best? I'm thinking of the one with Kate Jackson, then maybe. Okay. It's Bruce, director Bruce Geller. Oh, executive producer Alan Landsberg. He was the In Search Of guy oh, cool. who thought we were all going to get invaded by insects. Yeah, he probably did. Yeah, that's so that's from... Uh, November twenty second, seventy six. Okay. So, and then we okay. we got another piece of feedback from Levi Olson, who left us, I think, on the Made for TV Mayhem Show Facebook page. When I heard that Dan Budnick and Nathan Johnson would be on a podcast together, that was enough. But within the first episode, Dark Knight of Scarecrow v Gargoyles, The Spell, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, and so many other great shows are discussed or mentioned, and I just don't know what to do. Great hosting, great discussion, and great sound clips taking me back to childhood. Consider me a fan, and I've only listened to the first episode. Thank you so much, Levi. Thank you. Thank you, Levi. Thank you very I agree. much. Yeah, I agree. I... The pairing of Dan and Nathan was like two superpowers coming together. For... And and that's that's somehow, have we forgotten Amanda in this? That's okay. The, the super... The Wonder Woman of our uh, that's okay. Of our trifecta. As, if I'm a uh, who would I be? Elongated man and Nathan would be elongated like, uh, man. I don't know elongated man. <laughs> that's uh, that's for our comic book okay. fans out there. You could all enjoy me calling myself. I don't know. Man. I always see Nathan as this. Mr. Hazelrig. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. But that's really wonderful. <laughs> that's because he's southern. It's the more the more you play it. The more I'm convinced. The better it gets. <laughs> but thank you, thank you again, Levi. He was he was very nice today. I posted something on my Facebook um, to try to cheer people up. I posted a uh, excerpt from one of the dumbest heavy metal albums oh, okay. I've ever heard in my life, and uh, he he put a like on oh. it. So thank you, good people. Uh, thank you. It's a, it is it is a dumb album. I know. <laughs> Everyone, because every once in a while, when life if it gets you down, I find that a way you can sort of arrest your mind is by encountering something completely stupid yeah i think that, that and that's better. that's what this that's what this um that's what this album Yay. was well thank so. you for doing that cheering up the masses because we're recording tried, this we're recording this like two hour two hours two days after david bowie's death and i think yes. we're all a little bummed out about it i've been crying for two days straight i cried at my desk today yeah. so yeah um yeah, it's been it's been a rough couple of weeks. We lost we lost Angus, yeah, the Angus tall man, Strom, yes, and Lemmy, Lemmy and Mo Motorhead, and uh, Schneider from One Day at a Time. Oh yes, Pat, it's been a rough yeah. uh, year. Yeah, Natalie yeah. Cole. I mean, it's just been really sad thing uh, around here. Yeah. So, but so, let's not dwell on that right now because yes, just, let's get another comment. So that's here's uh, something interesting. So apparently, I'm getting feedback on iTunes, but we don't have enough feedback to access. The comments, but for some reason, because I check our iTunes every day just to see if what's popular of the episodes we have, and because you can tell by the bars, I can't tell how many people are listening, but I can tell if one show seems to be more more active that day for downloads than another one, and so I kind of just check it out to see what people are listening to, and I I somehow caught the window where I got a feedback comment on iTunes, but it disappeared the huh. next day. So I can't access again. I don't understand again, iTunes at all. But wow. I did copy and paste it because I sent it to you and Nate. And, yes. Yes. And it's by Shannon, who is uh, the lovely lady behind Rusting Willpower on Twitter. And I'm not awesome. sure I spelled this right. I put it R-U-S-T-I-N-W-I-L-L-P-O-W-R. But I think there might be a G. R G F. It's R. I, I actually have it right here. It's R-U-S-T-I-N-G. 
W-I-L-L-P-O-W-R, Perfect. one word. Yeah, resting willpower. And she's the person I recommended you just go to her website, which you can find through her Twitter. And she made a couple of albums uh, inspired by the X-Files. She gave me the link to the sec. The first album she did was broken and she resent it. And I haven't had a chance to access it yet, but I did listen to it. It's very good. The, the She just made an album like two months ago, X-File related to, which is, uh, I just love it. It's on my iPod. It's hybrid. hybrid. It's really good. So, um, Yes. Definitely check her out. But on iTunes, she wrote, this podcast is quickly becoming one of my favorites. It's always a treat to listen to Amanda, Dan, Nate, and or special guests discuss their favorite TV movies and shows from yesteryear. Seriously, I think I would listen to these guys read the phone book because I'm sure they would make it interesting and fun. So thank you, Shannon. And I think she gave us five stars. Thank you. Which is really sweet. Thank you. And she also yeah. sent us an email, but she said she'd be kind of embarrassed if we read it. <laughs> but there's a couple things I want to point out that she mentioned on it. I'll just do that real quick. So she wrote, I really appreciate – We're pro- this is probably going to lead into a long discussion that we should have on the next podcast. So I'll table it. Yes. But it's, it's a really good talking point. I really appreciate that you are clear that you all clearly have a passion and respect for what you are discussing. Unlike a lot of film TV podcasts I've listened to where they just rip things apart and talk about how bad the acting or plot is, I'm often entertained by bad acting or silly plots. So um, I think I don't necessarily want to talk about podcasts because we're new at this, too, and everybody's learning their way. But I do think that she brings up an interesting point about how people watch movies. And I think maybe on the next podcast, I'm going to bring up this again. And I think I want to talk. And if anybody wants to offer feedback at this point, that would be fantastic, too. I would like to talk about how people, how we, Dan, Nate, and myself, watch TV movies. You know what I mean? Like how we approach them. And I'm sure we all have different ideas. And we can talk about different things we like about podcasts. But I definitely, if I don't mention a podcast, (laughs) you know, there are some podcasts I've listened to that I don't like. Most of them I think are pretty decent. Some I love, obviously. You've heard me, you know, drool over the Strange and Deadly show. And I love Hysteria Continues <laughs> and uh, the Faculty of Horror and a lot of oh, Allie's Young and the rest of the podcast. So there's a lot I love. And I don't necessarily want to call out podcasts, but there are certain shows that I have heard that do concentrate on simply bashing something and not necessarily with love. I think there's a difference between Mystery Science Theater and being an asshole. Yes. And we can have that conversation. And it might be good with with Nate here, too, to do that. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, I think that's so. Great. And so and actually, it just occurred to me that so if anybody we're going to give our feedback information here in a second, um, please send us uh, your ideas about how you approach these kinds of movies. If you keep things in mind, if you just close your brain off or what you do, do you make fun of it? That's fine, too. I want to hear how everybody watches movies. But she also said, and this is the most important part of her email, also Philip over Wally. Definitely. I thought her most important part of the email was she said she listened to any story that involved me having a mullet. Oh, I forgot about that part. She does like the mullet stories. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I did. I meant to write that down. I'm sorry. You're right. Uh, so Philip, <laughs> Philip comes second. Philip over Wally. Yeah. Okay. But um, so mullets, huh. Philip. Uh, I do remember she said she liked Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which I hopefully we'll get to soon um, to talk about. And that she's been a really amazing supporter and she's just a really lovely girl. So thank you so much, Shannon, for writing it. Yeah. And that, and that hybrid album is really, I've listened to it three times in the last two days. It really is, is quite, 
it's it's they're they're very good monsters was the one that grabbed me the last time the song that grew you know what i don't know the titles of them but i really like the first song oh yeah that's lovely it's like we are uh i'll have it in a moment yeah it's it's uh, so good it's It's so good yeah it's a a really beautiful album and i highly suggest and she did it all by herself and uh, check it out um so if you want to get in touch with us we would really love it um you can visit our website which is just tvmayhempodcast.wordpress.com. You can email us, email us, which we've actually started to get some email, which is really nice. And I try to respond to everybody before I read your email. That's tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. You can also f- find us on Facebook. We're at uh, just facebook.com forward slash tvmayhempodcast forward slash. And we're also on Twitter. And you can follow us at tvmayhempodcast. Um, oh, I also wanted to throw a shout out to a um, podcast called Bargain Bin Horror. You can find them on Twitter at BB Horror. I think you should check them out. They're always um, putting me up for their follow Fridays and they're a lot of fun. Um, so uh, if you could follow them and check out their stuff, too, I think that would be really cool. Also, before we get to what our next movies are, I wanted to, we always forget to do the self-promotion stuff. So yes. just real quickly. Uh, Dan and I do another podcast. We have a new episode right now, which Dan hosted. Uh, The podcast is called Podcast Mania. And of course, I didn't write the website down, but you can find us on Facebook. And it's it's really hard to find on iTunes. So it's probably best you go to Facebook and go to the direct link to the website and, and go from there. You can find it on iTunes. And you know what? I haven't put it on our website yet, but I'll dig it up and I'll put a a link to it so that it's a a lot easier. For some reason, podcast mania is a very common word and it's on, it's all over iTunes. So it's hard to dig up our shows. Anyway, Dan hosted the corpse eaters. It's really fun. And you can find that. I have a website that's a companion to the blog, to the podcast. It's a blog. It's a made for TV mayhem. And you can just type in made for TV mayhem.com and you'll get to it. Also, I forgot to mention this, but a couple months ago, I had an essay featured in a ebook called "The Movie That Changed My Life." That that's a semi-common title. So the editor is Stacy Lane Wilson. It's two dollars, I think, to download. Um, all the money goes to a charity that, or I guess, a project that is helping uh, girls who want to get into film production. So it's a really good cause. And uh, it's a very short book. It's only like 59 pages. And a bunch of different people just threw out like movies that they love. I actually didn't do the movie that changed my life, but I wrote an essay about Killer Party and its importance to me and friendship, uh, a friendship I have with a friend of mine. It was dedicated to my friend Candy. So uh, if you want to check it out, you can find it on Amazon. And I think that's all I have. Dan, is there anything you want to promote? Well, first, I just want to say the killer party is awesome. Yes. And uh, I, I'm going to download. I finally found my Kindle. Oh, cool. That was a problem. We, we, we've been having. I, I, I lost my Kindle for a few weeks. So I just found it the other day. So I will download that this evening. The first um, song on hybrid is We're Not Who We yes. Are. It's an excellent song. I am on Polish American Guy Reviews.blogspot.com. Uh, I haven't done anything actually new this year. I'm about to. I'm still deciding. Uh, BJ and the Bear Season 2 or Cliffhangers or Shadow Chasers. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know because because BJ and the Bear is is 21 episodes and two Sheriff Lobo episodes. So that will take a long time. Yeah. Whereas Cliff, Cliffhangers is 10 or 11 Yeah, episodes. but it's three different 
films or three different it's, shorts or whatever you want for yeah. segments. And so it gets it gets so crazy, but if you go on PolishAmericanGuyReviews.blogspot.com, you can enjoy my last two main blog posts were a two-part blog covering two Happy Days Christmas oh, episodes. Yeah, I know it's I know it's January, but as Amanda said, they're very good. Yes. So please go and enjoy. And I'm on Twitter at at Danny Slacks One and under Daniel Budnick on Facebook. There are there are a few Daniel Budnicks. I'm the good looking one. It'll be easy to spot. So there. So so there. Actually, right now, uh, actually, right now, if you look up Daniel Budnick, my picture is an ad uh, with Shelley Winter's face from her. Well, badge. there you go. That's how. So, that's so. I'll leave that up. For that's easy days. to weed out right there. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Uh, I'll go ahead and say what our next films are going to be. This is going to be super fun. We're going monster with gargoyles mm-hmm. and the mud monster, AKA the world beyond. So that means we're getting Cornell wild and Granville Van Dusen. Van Dusen. Yeah, you know, when the Van Dusen's in the room, I can't control myself. So oh, I love, love Granville Van Dusen. So, um, yeah. that'll be really fun. I think that's it for us. Yes, I think so. Yeah, that's. I'm excited for the next one. Those I am two too. Great, I am great. too. Plus, this went on like oh, this always goes on like an hour longer than I want it to be. Because because I want oh, yes. to be like a two hour show. Like I've envisioned this two hours for like forever. You know I can't what? Do it. I, I I meant to say at the beginning of the show this was going to be two hours. It didn't quite get there. I w- I was looking at it this way like Dark Knight the Scarecrow. I'm sure other folks have talked about, but Revenge. Who's talked about Revenge? So if we talk about revenge longer right. than we think we should we do it under the theory that no one else will talk about revenge sure. so so we need those few 15 20 25 yeah. extra minutes so um and so i'm really glad that everybody's been sticking around for our epic shows i know that's yeah. kind of long to listen to wally cleaver and dan budnick so um we appreciate <laughs> it and we will see you soon and good night yes good night everybody good night everybody